Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Castellanos stings one to right field. And another! The fourth hit. The second homer of a stellar day for Nick Castellanos. Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning, Ray Dinger. And, Ray, while you were hitting on 19 at the blackjack table last night, shortly (laughs) after midnight, news broke that the Phillies made a huge free agent signing. Nick Castellanos, he of 34 home runs last year, terrific hitter. Ray, this may sound familiar for you with the Phillies. Defense leaves a little bit to be desired. Oh, you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a big signing is a bust through. Dave Middleton explodes that salary cap uh, threshold and goes through it. We'll talk about that in in a moment. I just wanted to get that in right at the top because um, if you went to bed before about 1130 and didn't look uh, online, didn't look at the news today, you probably missed that. So, we're going to get back to that in a minute. Um, first, just a little bit about last night. Ray uh, and I were down in Harris in Atlantic City. I was trying to pull Ray away from the back rat table. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ray, you, you did have the James Bond tux on. So, How'd you, you like know, that? Huh? Yeah, you were spectacular. <laughs> you look great. No, uh, Ray was I don't often the- I don't often rock the tux, but on those rare occasions, I enjoy it. Clean up well, Ray. Thank you. Uh, you were awarded the Reds Bagnell Award, Lifetime Achievement Honor by the Maxwell Football Club before room of uh, maybe 500-plus people in Atlantic City. Standing ovation for Ray from the likes of Coach Vermeil and Bryce Young, Jonathan Taylor, legends of the games and young stars. Ray, your family was there, your wife, your kids, your your delightful granddaughter, and I was I was delighted to be there to watch. And you have received many accolades, my friend, this this has to be one of the most gratifying. Really special. Really, really special. Uh, you know, as a Philadelphia guy, a guy who grew up here, fully understanding the meaning and the history of the Maxwell Club and fully understanding who Red Spagnell was and having gotten to know him and uh, become friends with him, uh, to be honored by the Maxwell Club and to receive an award uh, in Red's name is uh, – it was really, uh, it was really kind of overwhelming. I mean, when you look at the, uh, you know, you and I talked about this—the list of people that had won the Bagnell Award before. You mentioned Dick Vermeil was one of them. Don Shula was another. Uh, I was at the dinner the night they awarded the first one, and it was to Pete Rosell. <laughs> uh, I've been there, and I've seen Ed Sable and Steve Rozelle, Sable get it. Dinger, There's some great. I mean, there was some really, really, yeah. uh, as I referred to in my speech last night, true giants of the game, guys who built this game, and to think that the Maxwell Club saw fit to put me in their company was was really very special 
we are going to get into that more uh, later in the hour, but I did want to get that out right at the beginning, and I'm sure some of the people listening to us were there last night. You're certainly invited to check in at 215-592-9494 and mention how spectacular Ray was. Uh, but, Ray, yes. even as you and I and others I mentioned, uh, Jordan David, Brian Dawkins being feeded late into the night, came that <laughs> news uh, here in, whatever, 60 miles west in Philadelphia of the Castellano signing. And let me say today, Ray, we've got we got a lot of major topics. We've got star players coming and going with the Phillies, with the Eagles, with the Flyers. Yep. Uh, we're going to get into all of those big names. we got a, a well-timed NCAA tournament. Tell us your story with local hoops legend Fran Dunphy. Right. Uh, and really not enough time to get into it all, so... So let's let's start with Castellanos. So I'm going to mm-hmm. play one more one more highlight, not one that uh, Phillies fans will remember fondly, but this was last summer. In the air, center field, stumbled start for Herrera, streaks back, gone, a grand slam. <laughs> what is the best part of that, Ray? Well, there are two. There are two aspects to that. <laughs> one of which is Nick Castellanos hitting a hitting a slam. Bomber, uh, but yeah. the other is the is the <laughs> almost almost with an asterisk reference to a stumbling start yes. by Odubel Herrera. So okay, for Phillies fans, here's the good news: Nick Castellanos is going to be right in the middle of your batting order next season. Yeah. Um, the bad news is that Odubel Herrera is, is still going to be stumbling starting in center field. Oh God, Ray, they brought him back. I you know I'm I was stunned. I really I was. was. I, I I just I just assumed when we when we closed. When we closed the book on last year, we closed the book on Odubel Herrera. But he's just one of those guys that won't go away. <laughs> it's like a, like a bad itch that you can't get rid of. Um, so Castellanos last year hit 309, 34 homers, 100 RBIs, 100-plus RBIs. He In the last five uh, – there's some five-year deal, $100 million, uh, of course, pending the physical. In the last five years – take out the COVID year, okay? The other years – he has averaged 28 home runs, 45 doubles. You know, he had like 52 doubles one year. Yeah, I know. 91 RBIs, 90 runs scored, 290 batting average. He's a huge bat right in the middle of the order. Um, they got Kyle Schwarber in the lineup earlier in the week. Again, another big power hitter. Middleton busts through the luxury cap threshold. How do you feel about all this? Um, well, Castellanos is um... – I mean, he's a dynamic offensive player. He really is, and consistent. It's not like he's – you're not like you sign him for a lot of money off one big year. I mean, you look at his career, I mean, he's been an offensive power producer and run producer throughout. Uh, and he's a, he's, a, he's a terrific offensive player. And there's no, there's no question that in one week, bringing in he and Schwarber um, have brought in a lot of protection for Bryce Harper. I mean, last year, that last month of the season when this team was flirting with the postseason – um, you know, Bryce Harper was carrying that team for the last six weeks of the season to try and get him into the playoffs. Didn't have a whole lot of help. Well, he's got a lot of help in the lineup now. I mean, this is a team – I mean, there's no way – Glenn, there's no way this team is not going to score a ton of runs. I mean, they will. And the question is, you know, they're going to have to win a lot of 14 to 12 games yes. because they – right now their pitching looks really thin, uh, and their defense remains – I'll be kind and say substandard. But it's actually closer to atrocious. No, it's closer to atrocious. Yes. Last year you talked about the corner butchers, and uh, I got news. It's there. There's going to be butchers on every corner out there. I don't. 
I don't know what you call a shopping mall full of butchers, but they, they are. <laughs> right? I mean, other than Rail Muto, is there anybody on that team who you would say is above average on defense? Is a Harper's, pl- Harper's good. Is a plus defender? Plus defender, yeah. Um, no. No, I, I, I think Harper, Harper has proven to be a better defensive player than I thought he was going to be. Um, yeah, he had a good year. Yeah, and, and he's, he has been. Ever since he's gotten here, uh, I, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by his defense. His, his defense is good. Um, but I wouldn't say that he's a glove man. You know, I mean, he can, he can play the position well enough. But at some of the other spots, no. I mean, you got – right now, I mean, you're fielding a team – you're really fielding a team of DHs is really kind of what it amounts to. And, okay, okay, great, good for you. The DH is coming to the National League. Uh, and you're well-armed to play that, but – when the ball's hit in the air or ball's hit on the ground, <laughs> cover your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Let me. I'm going to get one quick call on on this, and then I want to get football into this segment. I want to get the Giroux thing coming up soon. We have a lot to cover, so um, we're gonna we're gonna kind of get back to all these topics. But Bob in Williamstown is excited about Castellanos, correct? Yes, I I, I certainly am. I I did fall asleep early, but uh, as when you get old, you don't sleep right through. So my phone's next to me. I checked my phone and I saw it. Yeah, it took me an hour and a half to fall back to sleep. There was lineups going through my head, and I'm saying, "Okay, so we're not going to catch the ball, but we're going to pound the hell out of it, and we want a World Series with three starters and just being an American League team and hitting." And I'm looking for 90 wins in a great summer, and I'm thrilled. I I, I like that, Ray. Remember when you used to play play professional softball, Ray, back in the day? Uh, oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember. What, what What were the scores of those games, Ray? <laughs> We played one game with Detroit where, well, they scored 40. <laughs> but, but we – no, 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 don't laugh. I mean, we scored 36. We just, we just came up a little short in the bottom of the seventh. You sure that wasn't the line? There's something, something that I really need to tell you. Yes. Uh, and I'm not sure if, if Ray knows this, uh, but I will say, again, because I'm old, I grew up with people like Ray and Stan Hockman, uh, Jason Stark, people – you, believe it or not, Al – uh, that when you said something, you meant it. You didn't look for people to – for, like, a controversy. Well, there was a guy this week on Twitter that called Flyer fans a bunch of – you yes. know what he said. Yes, he okay. did. Yeah, rear end. And I'm going to say that God bless you because you came to everyone's defense and pointed out the fact that we're not that. We're fans. And if there's an error in – Flyers history or anyone's history, and, I, and I've been a fan since day one, year one. I'm entitled, and everyone else is entitled, to not feel good about it, and to be called by a writer the most disgusting, disgusting name that you could ever be called in print. And then when you called him on, and he said, "Well, I stand behind this." Yeah. Well, guess what? An absolute. I don't want to go any further because I don't. No, want to I appreciate it, and and I think but that. But thank you, Glenn. You got it, Bob, and thank you for uh, for reading that. See, Ray, see what you missed by not being on Twitter. Yeah. So what? Uh, fill me in. Yeah, well, it's one of the writers, one of the hockey guys, uh, and you know, it was in discussion of Giroux leaving, and people were pointing out just how, you know, the flyer, just kind of how bad the Flyers are, and how, and, and they weren't blaming Giroux per se, but they were saying during this era, it's been a really bad era of hockey. Right. And this guy said, don't ruin Giroux's final game. How dare you talk, ruin Giroux's final game by talking about how bad the franchise may or may not be. You're, don't be a bleep. 
And I said, you know, fans are entitled to be unhappy with the product that they see. Of course they can. Well, yeah. Well, that was that was the nature of the, of the thing. That, 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 that's one I of I don't those... get into Twitter fights very often. In fact, I usually am like one and done because, right. you know, right. there's no end to those things. But there are, you know, there are even in this business sometimes when both things can be true. Yes. And the Flyers, the Flyers can be hideously atrocious, which they are. But you can also point out that what happened the other night at the Wells Fargo Center was very special. It was. Yeah, I mean, I'm bo- so both, thing, both things are true. Yes. Our whole next segment is going to be about Claude Giroux. So let me get back to that. But let me ask you this right now, switching topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple days ago, the Eagles cut, release uh, Fletcher Cox. Now there is talk that they will bring him back on a lower uh, contract, by the way, according to a local outlet called Let's Go to the Phones, which broke the story of him being cut. Give credit where it's due. Um, Ray? Do you still want Fletcher Cox back if you get him at a cheaper price? Or is it time to say, it's been great, thank you for the Super Bowl, terrific career, and we will see you at the, uh, the, the when you get into the Eagles Hall of Fame? Right. Um, no, if you can get him back on a, on a one-year deal for a reasonable price, I'll take him back, sure. Because you're, you're going to have to replace him anyway. Yeah, I know, but the question is, I mean, what I remember last year, I'm, I'm, I'm very split on this, to be honest with you, because I don't know where I may find better, and I don't want to make my team worse. But I also remember last year he was kind of early on complaining about the defense, right, and the scheme. Hey, and he wasn't entirely wrong, by the way. Well, he may not have been, but I don't know that it's the right thing to do. Go public with that, and I, I got the feeling last year he took some more than a couple plays off. Well, that's been true for a couple of years now. You know, where uh, um, there's, yeah, I mean, he's he he flips the switch. I, I, I will grant you that. Uh, and if, if you do bring him back on the one-year deal for less money, you do it with the full awareness that he, you're not getting the Fletcher Cox of 2017. You know, you're getting the Fletcher Cox of 2022, which is a, a diminished player. I mean, he hasn't been – the Eagles for a long time um, – they kept trying to explain away his diminishing production by saying, "Well, I get he gets double teamed, he gets triple teamed." He said, "No, it's not. It hasn't been true in years. I mean, teams haven't really been doubling Fletch for a while. I mean, they're pretty comfortable blocking him one on one. You look at last year. I mean, the doubles clearly were going to Hargrave's side. So, I mean, he hasn't been the guy that he was earlier in his career for some time now. But it's not like you got. It's not like he's blocking somebody else's progress here." You know, it's not like you've got two or two or three really good young defensive linemen that you're dying to get on the field. Um, if you if you let him go, if he just goes off and walks, which he could now. I mean, he's a free agent. Everybody's kind of saying, well, you know, they'll bring him back. Not necessarily. I mean, he if somebody offers him more money, he could go somewhere else. Well, you're going to have to find that other guy. I mean, Hargrave is set. Um, you know, they seem to like Milton Williams, and he did some good things. But I'm not sure that he's an inside player. I'm not so sure that he's not better on the outside. Can I get so, that Jordan Davis who we saw last night? Oh boy. Man, Ray, I stood next to that kid. This was, this was again, last night at the Maxwell Club dinners. He got the Bednarik Award as the College Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, I knew he was big, but sometimes you have to stand next to these guys to see how big he is. He's immense. Oh, he's a wall. He's immense. He's, he's 6'6". He's 340. He actually played. He was telling me last night he played closer to 360 last year. Uh, but, he, hey, listen, uh, he, he slimmed down. He might be on the Joe DeCamera program. He slimmed down for the combine, <laughs> uh, dropped twenty, yeah. uh, and then went out and ran a four eight forty. I yeah, mean, he's unbelievable! Go, he's amazing. He All really right. is. And and when they show, when they showed his little film clip highlight, 
You saw plays where he was running down running backs in yes. the open field. Stunning. He's an amazing player. Stunning. Okay. Uh, I want to stick on the NFL for one moment. Again, we're going to talk about Claude Giroux in the next segment. I don't want people to think we're ignoring that. A uh, huge NFL deal. Again, last night as I'm driving home from Atlantic City, the Cleveland Browns end up with Deshaun Watson. Um, three first-round picks, two additional picks. Oh, and by the way, $230 million fully guaranteed deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to discuss the football side of it for a moment. I am going to quote Connor Orr, who writes for Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback. Uh, because he said it better than I can say it. He said the Browns are never going to live down trading for Watson, to whom they immediately gave a five-year fully guaranteed contract extension. They groveled at such volume, oozed such desperation, that Watson couldn't ignore them even after he'd removed them from his list of finalists. Congratulations to a club that now becomes the fifth-best team in its conference at best. It only cost them their souls. (laughs) Nicely written. It was well written. And – it's a it's a really bad look for the NFL that a guy accused by 22 women of sexual harassment and assault when when and I understand there was a criminal non-indictment which is not the same as an exoneration no is then rewarded as if the whole thing was just an inconvenience for him mm-hmm. and I I really found it despicable yeah well I look at it the I was looking at it from a purely <laughs> oh, a capitalistic stance, I suppose. Uh, what it told me was this whole thing was about nothing but money. You know, Deshaun Watson can say what he wants to say about where he wanted to go. And, you know, when he has his first press conference in Cleveland, he'll probably, the Cleveland PR guys will give him a bunch of index cards where he can start rattling off the pride of the Browns and Paul Brown and Otto Graham. <laughs> and, you know, and I love the people in the dog pound and the people in Cleveland. And he's going he's to give you all of that as to why, he, why he's excited about coming to Cleveland. He's excited about coming to Cleveland because they're paying him a fortune. Um, I understand it uh, from the standpoint that uh, he's, a, he's a really good quarterback. He really is. I mean, he's a top fiver. At a time when there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, I have no problem putting him in the top five. But this, let's make no mistake here. This was purely about the money. And Cleveland stepped up with the money, and I guess you got a whole lot of Baker Mayfield in the in the Cleveland Stadium commercials that are just going to have to go on the archives because yeah. he ain't going to be in the Cleveland Stadium anymore. No, but I'm just I I really find it just totally distasteful, and for the league, for the Browns, and what's going to happen is they're going to have one news conference where he's going to you know be asked the questions, and he's going to answer you know if I did anything wrong, and I'm not saying that I did, you know I apologize for that. Let's move on. And then he'll never answer it again, and the team will never answer it again. And maybe he'll get a four-game suspension, whatever. And that's it. And it's 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 really a bad look for a league which is not uh, is is often used to bad looks. Yeah, the hypocrisy of the NFL is on full display here. Oh sure, oh sure. Um, you know there is that other shoe that has to drop now, and that's and that's what does um, Commissioner Goodell. And the uh, league's disciplinary arm. What kind of sanction do they come down with? Four games. You think? And the Browns already know it. Yeah, I I think that kind of had to be worked out somewhere before this was all done. You say four. I don't know. I I may go six. Okay. But it's not going to be like, you know, we'll we'll see you two years from now. I mean, he'll play this season. It's just a question of when. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just 
I just hated the whole thing. All right, so much for us to discuss today. Howie Roseman gets an extension. We talked about Fletcher Cox. Eagles make a move, <clears throat> excuse me, early in the week that I want to get your take about it. Uh, so much going on with the Phillies uh, at and, and the Sixers at noon. Fran Dunphy, a good NCAA time, tell us your story. And when we get back, we'll talk about um, what is probably today the day that one of the all-time great flyers gets traded. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Ray Dinger, as you and I sit here on a Saturday morning, beautiful day, by the way, uh, we are waiting for news of the inevitable trade of Claude Giroux. Uh, most likely to either Colorado or Florida, mm-hmm. uh, both serious contenders. It's just so odd that like anybody wants to be traded to the Florida Panthers because they're a contender. They are, but it's just I still can never wrap my arms around that. <laughs> anyway, you can spend, you know, if, you, if you like playing golf, I mean, listen. You know, if I was a player and I got to live down in Florida, I could see the advantage. But it's just it. I I I never have and never will accept uh, hockey in in the Sun Belt. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. And, anyway. and one of the things that bothers me is, is a lot of the teams that are there and in Arizona are good teams. You know, these yeah. teams, or the, or the teams in California. It just, it just seems weird to me to see a Stanley Cup like the Final Four that has three teams yeah, where Anaheim people are wearing Bermuda Cup shorts to, to the games. Right. Yeah, I can, I cannot abide Anaheim ever winning a Stanley Cup, which they've done. Okay, but here's the thing. Uh, this is probably the day that Claude Giroux gets traded. He did not play last night when they uh, played uh, Ottawa. He did not make that trip. And I just want to take a little time for you and I to kind of look at his career, put it in perspective. And when you go for the all-time Claude Giroux highlight, the unfortunate part is i got to go back 10 years, which was when the Flyers were in a playoff series against Pittsburgh. If you recall, 2012 Flyers win the first three games and then Pittsburgh starts coming back, and they win game four and five, and we're all getting really scared. So game six starts. Flyers need to make a statement. 
right off the bat, opening faceoff, Claude Giroux decks Sidney Crosby. Huge hit in the neutral zone. Remember that? Oh, very well. All right. And then we go 32 seconds into that opening shift, and then this. Crosby, terrific in the faceoff circle in the last game, wins this one, but it's cleared up the far side. Yarmir Yager had it knocked off his stick. He recovers and plays it out to center ice. Latang tried to hammer it back in deep. It didn't get very far. And now Yager trying to play it ahead, but it's knocked away. Picked up here, though, by Giroux. Shots go! He was great that whole series. He was. Um, he really was. And again, I don't blame Claude Giroux for the things that have the, the morass that this franchise has gone into over the dec- last decade. It's not his fault that they couldn't find a goalie. It's not his fault that they had inept defensemen. It's not his fault that he had line mates that weren't very good. Um, you could argue, and I would not disagree, there were times when he did not come up in clutch situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but, well, I'm going to tell you in a moment where I rank him all-time among flyer forwards. But before I do, oh, I'd, I'd like okay. you to you kind of go first. What, what is his – as Claude Giroux probably leaves today. And by the way, to his credit, he never wanted to leave here. Even now, you know, he, he, he's, he's been a loyal, good guy. Yes. What's the legacy? Um, I, a very good player, very good captain, uh, tough, durable, never missed a game. Played through a lot of injuries. Um, and I always thought gave you a good, honest effort all the time. Um, through good times when the team was really good, uh, and then in recent years when the team's been pretty bad. Uh, I mean, his, his effort was something you could never question. Uh, and this was not an easy era to be the Flyers' captain. When you think about the Flyers' captains that have gone before and some of the, some of the great years that this team had, you know, of course, the, the, the back-to-back cups, but then some, some really good years go, going to the finals and having some really good teams, good competitive teams. Um, this has been, this last decade has just been kind of a wasteland. And he's been, un- unfortunately, he has become the face of the franchise during its lowest ebb. And um, I think that in retrospect, it probably will, when people start talking about the great flyers, you know, that will work against him. You know, I think people will start, will say, yeah, he was a good player, and then kind of leave it at that. Um, I don't know that he goes, he's going to get enough credit for being as good a player as he was uh, and a guy who played as hard as he played over a period of time when it would have been easy to just, it would have been easy to just go the other way. And I think that when, what he said and what you said is very true, um, and it certainly be, was very evident Thursday night at the Wells Fargo Center. That sometimes when guys talk about leaving a team, they'll say, "Oh, I hate to leave this city," and uh, and sometimes it's it is little more than lip service. But I really do believe that Claude Giroux came to love Philadelphia. I think he really did come to love the Philadelphia fans, uh, and I think that emotional send off. I think all that emotion was totally genuine, and that's why that's what made Thursday night so special. And that's why it was, uh, you know, when you look back on this season, there haven't been I, I don't know if there's been a, anything you would call a highlight. No. But Thursday night was certainly a highlight. Yeah, and the Flyers, who have done so many things so poorly on and off the ice, give them a lot of credit. They did a terrific job. They with did that. a real, really, really good job. Bobby obviously. Clark right. and Lindros, and it, it, it was first class operation. Um, all right, so here you go, Ray. And it was all, I, and it was all deserved. It was. It, oh, it, yeah. it, it wasn't manufactured, and it wasn't like, oh, okay. So there's sort of a sense of obligation. I guess we got to give this guy a send off. I mean, I think you saw that how much he is. 
how much the people in that organization love him and how much they respect what he's given to the team. And so that's what made that thing really, really kind of meaningful. I probably have Giroux higher than you do all time, but this is my list of the top dozen all-time flyer forwards. All right? Okay. Do I want me to go 1 to 12 or 12 to 1? Uh, however you want to do it. I'm, right. I'm kind of curious because I, you know, okay, I, I'm, I'm sort of scribbling down my own list here, but you uh, go here ahead. There you go. All right, start at the top. Number one, Bob Clark. Number two, Bill Barber. Easy, right? Yeah, I'm with you there. Number three, Eric Lindros. I'm with you there. Number four, Giroux. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the longevity, where he ranks in the league, he's third leading scorer in the league over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to put it in that perspective. Now, the issue is, and this is, I'm sure, what you'll get into. I'll read more, but I'm sure the issue is number one. Number five, Tim Kerr. Right. Number six, Rick McLeish. Okay. Number seven, John LeClaire. Okay. Number eight, I got Brian Propp. Okay. Number nine, and I love Prop. I want to put him higher. I think uh, I, I think I probably would. Okay, maybe, maybe. Number nine, Rod Brindamore. Okay. Ten, Recky. Yep. Eleven, Simone Gagne. Mm-hmm. Twelve, Reggie Leach. A pretty good list. With apologies to Rick Tockett, who's the one I wanted. To, I mean, I could keep going, but I ran I ran out of Twitter characters, so that's as far as you can go with the list when you run out of characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I get it. I think I probably would. I think I probably would have found room for Tockett there somewhere. He was. He was one of the names I scribbled down here. Mm-hmm. Um, my, um, I have Giroux uh, sixth. I have so who my, do you who do you put in front of? Uh, I've got Clark. Uh, Clark and Barber one two. That's easy. Lindros three. Yes. Um, I have Kerr four. I have I have Leclerc five, and I have okay. Giroux. I have Giroux coming in six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I I don't know if people. Remember how great Tim Kerr was. I know he had, well, f- he had four straight fifty goal seasons. I know, I know, and and the problem is that you know he would have had eight of them if not for all the horrible injuries that he ended up playing through. Yeah, he had four straight fifty goal seasons, and then another one we had forty eight. So you know, I think because that team didn't win a cup during his time, I think people remember him as a really good player. But if you go back and look at the numbers, he was far better than that. So. Yeah, I, I got him. I got him as my four, and I've got Leclerc as my five, and I got Giroux at six. Okay. Again, I don't. I don't think we're radically different. Uh, no, no, no. Giroux is is he's an all time great. He's the longest tenured athlete in this town, right? I think he was here before Kelsey. Yes. And uh, him leaving is is a big deal. I know hockey's kind of off the off the chart right now, mm-hmm. not in a good way, in a bad way. Right. Flyers are kind of not in most people's mindset right now, but I. Assuming Giroux does get traded today or tomorrow, I did not want this to pass without you and I discussing it. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you did uh, because you and I have spent over the last month or so we've carved out a little time within each show to just to talk about the Flyers to and, shred them and just and just rip them for you know and and justly so. I mean they they have been so bad and and there's have done so many things wrong. Um, and right now they're they're a tough watch. I mean there's no question about that. Um, but I think that for having said all the things that they've done wrong, I think we need to give them credit for when they do something right. Yep. And, and, I th- and I thought Thursday night they really did a great job paying tribute to a guy that's one of their all-time great players. So, I, you know, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I think we – I know And last night they go up to Ottawa and they, they lose again. So, I mean, it's, things are kind of back to where they were. But, you know, you, you can't let a player who had the kind of career – that Claude Giroux did and have the kind of longevity in this city that Claude Giroux did. Just let him walk out of town without acknowledging it. Yeah. Neil, you're uh, on with Ryan Glenn. Hi, Neil. Yes. 
Hi, guys. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, Ray, let me first start off by uh, congratulating you on the Maxwell Award. Great accomplishment. Thank you, Peniel. I appreciate that. And, Glenn, I've been listening to you a long, long time, even mornings with Mac and Mac, so I go back a long time with you guys. Sure. Appreciate it. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Flyers, and I'm a 40-year season ticket holder from from 72 to 12, and I got out at the right time, so I should really play the stock market. Um, I, I will say that it's three things that are wrong here. It's pride, it's heart, it's desire. I'm going to break these down real quick. When the kids were growing up in the 70s, They were dreaming about playing for the Flyers. It was pride. I would love to play for that team. 80s, same thing. Kids that grew up in the 90s, same thing. There is no pride whatsoever. Guys don't want to play here. There's just a lack of the pride. Now, they're, they're not playing with Hart. They have Lauren Hart. They have Carter Hart. But they have no heart in this organization. Yeah. In the 70s, I remember when the Flyers made it to the finals. The press, the league, they were laughing. The Flyers, are you kidding me? They gave them no chance. This team proved that they could beat the big bad Bruins of the 70s, and it was all heart. Yeah, well, it wasn't all heart, and, and thanks for the call. It was a lot of talent too. I, I and I, listen, I appreciate his call. Thanks very much. I think because those t- that team was so tough that the amount of skill they had gets forgotten. They had three Hall of Famers on the ice. Exactly right. You know, exactly right. That that that's pretty significant. I I and I um and that was one of the things that and, and covering that team, um, that was one of the things that I kind of answered people back because there were a lot of people, especially. The real purists, the real hockey purists, who were terribly, terribly offended by what those Flyers were and how they won, you know. I mean, you know, the Red Fishers and the Frank Gores and all, the, you know, all the veteran hockey writers, most of them up in Canada. Anyway, I just want to clarify for people who did not hear that right. You said Frank Orr. It sounded like you said Frank Gore. I'm thinking. Oh no, 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 not the guy who was an Eagle for 12 hours. No, no, no. This is I, I know I Frank know. Orr, who was a columnist at the Toronto Star. But they all, all they wrote about were these goons and the Broad Street bullies and. All of that kind of stuff, and and I always said, no, the, yeah, that, that's part of it. I mean, there's no, there's no question that the toughness and the willingness to drop the gloves and the intimidation factor, especially in the old spectrum, was real. I'm not going to deny that, but don't overlook the fact that you have the best goalie in the world right now, uh, and you have some great players you the on MVP. this team. Yeah, I mean, you have you have the MVP and you have the best goalie, so you're starting with that. Okay, so it, it wasn't just about the fighting. Um, but the heart of the team is, it's for sure. I mean, cause then in, in that, in, especially in the run in the first cup, I mean, to beat the Rangers in the semifinals and then to take on the Bruins with Esposito and Orr and all of those players and win both those years. He's right. No one gave them a chance to get yep. past the Rangers yep. and they did. And then they certainly didn't give them any chance against the Bruins and they won the whole thing. And, yep. and Hart was certainly a big part of it, but don't discount the fact that there was true greatness on the team. Let me get Bob and Del Rand because uh, Bob's got some concerns about a position where the Eagles really do need some help, Bob. Yeah. Um, I want, I'm going to make a plea to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. Do not get Zach Pascal. We got a guy like that. Uh, we got the guy uh, Ward. And I know he's Nick's friend. I get it. He likes him. I get it. But this is not a friendship thing. 
This is about building a team. So we need to get somebody to open it up and give Jalen Hurts a fighting chance to show what he has and open it up for Devontae Smith. And I'm getting his gut feeling that Nick wants to get his buddy in there. And I think it's wrong. And I think somebody should call call him out. Uh, and do I, it. I think there's two things going on. Okay. Uh, which is not that yours is incorrect. But I okay. think that the Eagles wanted to upgrade at wide receiver and were shocked as I guess a lot of people were, and caught off guard by the amount yeah. of money that the wide receivers are getting. I mean, Ray, Kirk gets uh, four years, $72 million? Christian Kirk. Christian yeah. Kirk? Nice player. Yeah, nice player. But, That's exactly um, right. Yeah, but that um, – yeah, the, of all the things that have happened in the, in the, in the NFL in the last few weeks, uh, the, the biggest thing that surprised me was this explosion in the wide receiver market. That so many of them got signed, and so many of them got signed for so much money. I don't know that anybody saw that coming. And it started with Christian Kirk, who, again, nice player. But, I mean, you're paying him like a yeah. superstar. And now and now the problem is now that has set the market for all the other guys. Yeah. And so I don't know who's left. I'll see if I can find who's left on the free agent market. I, I'm – Pascal doesn't do it. Uh, I think he's, he's kind of done. It I, looks like we're going to get Zach Pascal. It's like I, I another... think so, and I'm not. I'm as unmoved as you are, but I do think they should sign somebody, and I think they missed out on all the better players. Glenn, I just don't want Nick to get into a big testimony about how great this guy is. I think somebody should shut him down in the press and say, "Look, we know what the deal is. You don't have to talk this guy up because he can't sell him to us. He just can't." I don't know that he's going to try that hard. He's going to say he's a I good teammate and leader, he's and he's going to he give you that. Him. I get that. But you see, but, part of it. Part of it, Bob, is that every coach tends to get the latitude of bringing in players he knew from his old organization. It's a very regular thing. It's not oh, yeah. always a bad thing. I mean, when it's co-tight in the Jets, it's a bad thing. But. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you wind up with Pat Ryan. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be a bad move, too, again. Uh, okay. I, I think it's going to be a meh move. I, and I and I hear your frustration, and Ray – the free agent market, we'll talk, we're going to do uh, NFL at uh, whatever, in the 11 o'clock hour, but the free agent market kind of opened and, and people looted the shelves and closed real fast. Yeah. That's it. It's gone. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I was surprised that so many guys moved right away. Well, a lot of teams franchised, teams that had good wide receivers franchised them. Um, uh, I know one guy traded from Green and, Bay to and, Las yeah, Vegas. And, and they franchise them and then trade them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, but that kind of pushed everybody to that next tier of guys. And I think what happened, and kind of what it tells me, maybe I'm reading the market wrong, but what it tells me is everybody has come to the same conclusion that I've, got, that I've come to is, boy, you've got a lot of really great defensive players in this draft. So teams that have deficiencies on defense and need to rebuild their defense, they're saying, look, we're just going to get, it. We're going to, get those guys in the draft. We're going to, you know, there's a ton of defensive players in this draft. That's where we're going to rebuild our defense. If we're going to get wide receivers, we've got to go free agent. We've got to go now. And I think that's what's kind of accelerated the wide receiver market. But it's real. I mean, there's no question that um, wide receivers came off the board fast, uh, and they were getting paid a ton of money. Yeah, and the Eagles kind of missed it. I, you know, I, time may prove them right. You know, I, I wouldn't want to pay Christian Kirk that much money, no. given the what, what the salary cap is. No, and again, and again, he's a good player. But, I mean, you're not doing yourself any favor when you, when you overpay to the degree that they overpaid. Right, except. If you have no wide receivers and, you know, don't don't find the opportunity to get them. All right. Coming up. Uh, by the way, I just want to say if anybody is on social media, which 90 percent of you are, 
go to my um, Twitter page at Real Glenn Macna or my Facebook page or my Instagram page or whatever. Um, I think I put it on LinkedIn too. There is a picture of an extremely handsome man in a tuxedo. <laughs> He's actually hanging with me and Barkan. Actually, Barkan looked great too. He Barkan did. Barkan had the tux with the silver vest. Barkan yep. was. He was styling. He looked really good. A uh, little Joe to camera also. And you will see, uh, you will see, but the highlight is Ray Dinger in a tux. We're going to talk about your big night last night. We'll keep taking people's calls. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Football season is officially over, but the beginning of springtime means a few things. Great weather, grilling, and tire sales. Stop by your local United Tire now through March 26 to receive up to $70 back when you purchase four BF Goodrich tires. Nothing says hello spring like switching out your winter tires for a brand new set of passenger or light truck tires. So mark your calendars and head to United Tire where you can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires. Remember, don't drive alone. Drive United. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. With Ray Dinger, I'm going back now. 215-592-9494. Before we uh, go to the phones, we mentioned last night, uh, Harris Atlantic City. Boy, Ray, what a big joint that was. Yeah, and they had, they had about 800 people in that room last 800, night. 800, wow. That's great. I parked my car. I felt like I walked two miles to the to the to uh, where the event was. But it was, it was great. Um, and Jonathan Taylor was there. And Bryce Young was there, Heisman Trophy winner, and Jordan Davis. And it's really nice um, – the Maxwell Club, because I love that they honor the high school kids and coaches and yep. then the college kids and coaches. And, um, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, who won the Burt Bell Award, had won the high school award years ago. Yes, he so had. It was very cool to see that. And, of course, uh, the highlight for everybody was Ray Dinger <laughs> getting the Red Bags now, Reds Bagnell, excuse me, award. Why was he called Reds and not Red, by the way? Do you know? Um, back in those days, that's kind of, you know, when, if, if you had red hair, you were reds. No, you weren't red. Okay. Uh, but, um, there were a lot of great testimonials to you. Michael Barkan introduced you, Carl Peterson introduced you. And just, I think people there really, uh, appreciate your work. But, um, Rob Kustner, who, uh, produced the, um, post-game show on uh, Comcast Sportsnet for all those years, put together just a little thing where he asked Brian Dawkins about how do you feel about Ray Dinger's opinion? I don't, have you heard this thing yet? No, I never did. Oh, well, here you go. I couldn't wait to hear him. Like, cause Ray, Ray, Ray spits truth, man. Like, he, and sometimes truth is not, it's, <laughs> it's not always pleasant, right? But, no, he, he knows his stuff, he, and, and he's not going to necessarily um, – dog anybody right he's not trying to do anything that way but he spits truth wow not bad right that's a, you can put that one on my tombstone he speaks truth uh I think he said he spits truth but yeah uh, well um that's all i've ever tried to do you know i've um i really do believe in this city uh in philadelphia with this sports community and these fans and the level of knowledge among these fans that um they can if you're a phony they can spot it in a minute 
Uh, and so the only way you can survive here, as long as I've survived here, which is 53 years now, um, is if you're honest, if you're honest with them. Uh, and if it's good, I have no problem saying it's good. And the fans want to hear it, and that's fine. I mean, you know, Super Bowl 52 is as good as it gets. And I was enjoying it right along with everybody else. But when it's bad, <laughs> it's bad. And there's no sense if it's bad, and there's no sense that you sitting here trying to tell everybody it's good because they know better. So that's really all I've tried to do for the last 50 years is just kind of, as, as Doc said, spit the truth. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's cool and sometimes it hurts, but that's what I've been doing. And coming from him, um, that means a lot because to me, he, I mean, he got, he got the legend award last night. And uh, uh, if anybody fits the definition of a legend in this town, it's certainly number 20. Well, and you as well. What just, you know, what was your takeaway? What was your emotion? What was your feeling as that night ended last night? Oh, God, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Yeah, the start of your speech. And by the way, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you mentioning me in your speech. I was, I was really touched by that. But I will say that at the very, very beginning of your speech, when you picked up that paper, mm -hmm. it was a tiny bit of a shake. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was feeling it. I mean, you saw me before. You saw me at the cocktail reception before, and I told you how nervous I was. You say, come on, you've done this a million times. No, not like this. You know, not like this. I mean, not receiving this kind of award in front of the, that kind of audience with those kinds of people on the dais with you. Um, no, that was, uh, I mean, that was really very emotional. And I, I kind of had to sort it all out and just try and get through the speech. And um, I, I was I was really nervous, but um, it meant a tremendous amount to me. I mean, I got to spend the better part of the evening with uh, with people who I, I really respect. I mean, you know, the Ron Jaworskis, the Brian Westbrooks, the Brian Dawkinses, um, people like that, Carl Peterson, and I sat next to Michael during the dinner. And, you know, the just and, and the fans that just came up to me and, and said, you know, we've really enjoyed your work over the years. And, you know, we look forward to every Saturday and Sunday listening to you and Glenn. I mean, I heard that all night. And it was... It was just so wonderful. It, it really, it really was. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful night. And um, I, I was very, I was very thankful that you made the drive down there and uh, and came to the oh, dinner. Sure. And and you were right, certainly. You've come to every charity thing I've ever asked you to come to, and we've been friends for twenty years. I'm, I wasn't going to miss that. Well, that was really nice. It was really nice so to have you there. Family, and the, it was great. And you got to meet my whole family. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, your son and daughter were crowing. I got to say that. Yeah. They, uh, you know, listen, Maria, obviously, you know, the pride was was there but to see your your son and daughter just having a great time watching the old man that was pretty cool yeah it, it really was and um you know my granddaughter Haley brought her boyfriend and uh and he got to and he got yeah, to, he's a nice kid he's a great gets to sit next to your son which i what how old is he 20 the kid uh mike is yeah 20 mike's 21 yeah, sitting sitting next to his girlfriend's dad, and your son is large and intimidating. He is. I will grant you that. But they but they I'm get along. For they, your son-in-law, not son-in-law. Excuse me. Don't mean that. For your your <laughs> your granddaughter's you're moving boyfriend. things along here. No, no, your granddaughter's boyfriend. I'm sure it's like, oh, hi, hi, Mister Dittinger. How are you? <laughs> no, he's a he's really he's really a, he's really a, a good kid, and he got you know he got to meet you know he got to hang out with you know Brian Westbrook and Brian Dawkins yeah, and Dick yeah. Vermeil and all that stuff, and he was he was in heaven. He was having a really good time. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you, and again, it was really nice. And by the way. Uh, great job by everybody there. Our friend Cindy Webster was involved. It was nice to see her there. Leslie Goodell did a great job. 
And you know who's pretty damn good MC? Joe Joe DeCamera. Jolton Joe, man. He was really good. He's really comfortable up there. He, he was he's really got some style. It was all on him. Uh, and when I saw the program and I saw the number of people that were going to be getting awards and the, everybody comes with a video highlight and and they had told me ahead of time, look, we're starting at 6.30 and we're going to be done by 9.30. And I looked at the program I said, no way. There's no way they're going to cram all of that in and get everybody out of there by 9.30. But son of a gun, Joe brought it in right on time. Yeah, I looked. He, I, you know, I, I looked at the clock when 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 he closed it, and it was nine thirty. So Joe, I mean, there was a lot of moving parts to that program, and it was not an easy program to uh, to coordinate. But uh, I thought I thought Joe did a terrific job. Really, very nice, very nice. Sean in Wilmington is with us. Hey, Sean. Hey, what's up? How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? All right, go ahead. Yeah, you're on. Uh, okay, I wanted to call. Uh, I wanted to talk to you guys about uh baseball uh, i'm really i i miss the days uh mike schmidt uh gary maddox aaron rowan uh victorino uh i mean pete rose i mean i can name these guys uh morandini eric Bruckman, turn on assisted triple place they're just all all it is now is hitting hit you know hitting swinging for defenses and i i just I, I like those defensive plays just as much as I like the offensive plays. Yeah. And the last few years, our defense has been horrific, and it's only getting worse with these players we're signing. It is. You know? And it's I'm good. just. It's going to be softball out there. Yeah, it's just, it's just really got there, me like. Sean, I, I got to let I've, you go. We have we have all kinds of interference on your phone. I'm sorry about that, but I hear somebody else talking as you talk. I don't mean to be rude to you, but it's it's not a good connection. He made his point. Yeah, he did, and, <laughs> and I don't and I can't disagree. And I don't disagree with it. Yeah, I don't disagree sneak, with uh, it. Let me get Brian Westgrove before the break. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, boys. Uh, you guys are like a warm blanket. It's uh, so comforting to to wake up on a on a Saturday morning and hear you on the radio. So, thank, so you. thank you for that. Thanks, Brian. Um, I I, uh, I watched uh, Jeru send off on on Thursday, and and they did a fantastic job. Uh, but the saddest part was that you know he's now going to join the the pantheon of Philadelphia athletes uh, who who weren't you know not only legends here in town but all-stars in their sport who who never won a championship and and i made a you know quick list off the top of my head you got randall cunningham claude Giroux, eric lindros donovan mcnab charles barkley alan iverson and the jury's still out on on Embiid. and and i think the flyers are kind of in disarray right now because they're not only going to have to replace his production but his stability uh, as well and you know i always felt comforted that he you know he was driving the ship and the the saddest part is that if he goes somewhere else and, and wins a championship, you know, he really should have won it here. So I just wanted to, to yeah. kind of get your thoughts on that. I, I, I hear it, um, but he's not going to win it here. And they probably can get something pretty good for him. Um, and you got to get value when you can. There are teams going for the cup now. And there's the opportunity to get assets. Oh, God, I hate that, right? It was Sam Hinkied right there. I know. Um, but, but and thanks, Brian. In this case, Ray, that's the priority, right? Yeah, it is. Um and look, if he goes to one of those two teams, and I do think it will be one of those two teams, um, and wins the cup, which is entirely possible, um, as a as a Flyer fan, you should feel good for him. You know, I mean, it, for everything that he gave to this team and to this city over this long period of time, bleak as it was, uh, for him to f- get an opportunity to actually skate around with the cup over his head is, I'm going to feel good about it. Now, I would have rather it's, it's I would the Ray Bork moment. I would have, yeah, it's it's exactly right. And I would have, 
and I felt good for Ray Bork, you know, when that sure. happened. And and I think Giroux is is the same kind of player, you know, a really really great player, a Hall of Famer for sure. Um, and it would have been it would have been great to have him have that moment as a flyer, but for me. it ain't it ain't happening. So let him have it happen somewhere else. By the way, I just got a little bit of a report. Um from a little birdie that says that the trade uh, may not happen today. There was a lot of belief that it would happen today, but it may not because um, Florida and Colorado are the two teams in it. I guess he maybe prefers to go to Florida. Florida had an injury yesterday um, to one of its better players, and Florida doesn't play again till Thursday, so they want to kind of assess what's going on with Aaron Ekblad before they do something. So, uh, I, I kept thinking and believing and saying that it was going to happen yesterday or today. May not quite happen yet. So that's it. Okay. All right. Coming up, Ray Dinger, you and I are going to talk some Philadelphia Eagles is what we're going to do. And people can join. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. The 23-yard line, McCoy. In trouble, it is Reddick again, his fourth sack of the game. Well, that's Hassan Reddick um, last year. Or was it the year before? I forget. Anyway, against the New York Giants. When was Colton McCoy the quarterback of the Giants? Was that last year, right? Uh, the year that's before. The year before. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, but double Last year they had Mike Glennon and uh, <laughs> and Jake from, uh, Jake from Allstate. Yeah. Right, and Glennon with the world's longest neck. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway. Uh, but he's here now. He is a Philadelphia Eagle. He is, in fact, kind of all they've done since free agency opened. They lost Alex Singleton, and they got him. Singletary. Singleton. Excuse me. Uh, and, you wish uh, he was Singletary. Yeah, I wish he was Singletary. <laughs> uh, that's it, right? They, they they ended up bringing back Boston Scott, which I was glad to see. I like Boston Scott. They re-signed uh, Greg Ward. Okay. Whoop-de-doop-de. Um, and uh, Fletcher Cox still in limbo. Right. But let's focus on Reddick because that's all we got. Um, what's his role going to be? I mean, uh, pass rusher, obviously, right. but as a he's he's a Sam linebacker. Is what they're going to list him as, right? Uh, I think he's I think he's going to be your Sam. Yeah. Is he going to have to cover a little bit? Uh, that's that's going to be up to Jonathan Gannon. Um, that's why. Look, I I I like the signing. I, I really did. I I, I think Reddick is is a really good player, and I think he demonstrated that. Over the last two years, I mean, he was a double-digit sack guy playing with two different teams, uh, which indicates that he's scheme adaptable. Um, but he's not, you know, he's six one, he's two thirty-five. He's not a guy. He's not going to be Micah Parsons. If people are going to suggest that he's going to be that, you, you can't put his hand on the ground and ask him to be a defensive end. He's just not. So you're going to have to play him as a, as a linebacker. Um, and if you put him in the right spots, he can be a difference-making player, which they haven't had at linebacker in forever. But a lot of that's going to fall on the defensive coordinator. You, you bring a guy in who's a good player. Uh, you pay him a pretty fair amount of money, which they did. You better have an idea what you're going to do with him. You know? And I, uh, I kind of want to see what Jonathan Gannon does with him because you're giving him a guy that, who can play. Okay, now, coach, okay, now you put him in spots where he can, where he can impact the game. That's going to be on Gannon. Um, and I tell you, I, I do not want to see Hassan Reddick backpedaling on third down. You know, I don't want to see him with his back to the line of scrimmage running downfield with a running back. You know, you you got to set him up to do what he does best, which is come around the edge and get after the quarterback. That's what he is. That's what he does. And it's going to be on the defensive coordinator to put him in that position. 
you know, they, they tried to go that way. The last Sam was, was Gennard Avery, who they, you know, I mean, they Man. gave up. I mean, they traded a fourth-round pick. It, was, it wasn't like they picked him up for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and he came here and, and contributed very, very little. But that's the position. And you basically want that guy to play linebacker, but mostly to be able to blitz and put pressure on the quarterback. Avery was never able to do it, but you know that Riddick can. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the news just breaks uh, within the last 10 minutes. They have officially re-signed Fletcher Cox to a one-year deal. So let us celebrate by playing a great Fletcher Cox moment. On first down, play action. Green blows up. He fumbles the football as he's hit. He lost it. The Eagles have it. Hit by Fletcher Cox. His third of the game. There's that man again. Not only does he get the sack, it's a sack strip, fumble, and recovery by Fletcher Cox. There's that man again. Well, there you go. And by the way, Merrill's going to be doing that for the next few years as well. How about that? Yeah, when you talk about Eagles signings in the last week, that's a big one. Three more years of Merrill. Howie's a big one, yes. Three Uh, more years of Merrill. The whole gang's going to keep going. Yep, yep, yep. Um, By the way, I I just, before I completely forget about it, we had a caller in the last segment that talked about Zach Pascal, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the wide receiver from Indianapolis who's now a free agent, who's been mentioned in connection with the Eagles. And the Eagles are looking for receivers, and Nick Sirianni coached this guy at his position at Indianapolis. Seems to me to be logical connection there. Uh, and we had the one caller who, who really trashed it. Uh, I wouldn't be so quick to do that. Um, I understand Sirianni's interest because um, the guy's a pretty good player. He's... He's, he's got, he's clearly, to me, he's clearly a slot player. You're not bringing him in to be, to compete for one of the outside wide receiver spots. You know, you got Smith, I guess they're still hoping that Quez becomes that guy on the other side, but you do need somebody in the slot better than Ward and Pascal is that. Uh, And, uh, and he can do a lot of things that I know Nick likes to do. And Nick used to call these plays. I mean, he's a jet sweep guy. When they want to run the ball, they'll bring him out of the slot and they'll pitch it to him and let him run it. He runs good patterns. He catches the football. He's been productive. I mean, he's a guy that went undrafted. He came out of Old Dominion, sort of fell through the cracks. He was under, undrafted, bounced around, picked up by Washington. They cut him, went to Tennessee. They cut him. Um, but he found a home in Indianapolis, and he found a coach in Nick Sirianni who really got a lot out of him. So is he a guy that's gonna, <laughs> that you're going to pop the corks and party in Broad Street that you signed him? Probably not. But for a team that has a need for that kind of player, a guy that can play in the slot, get open, catch the football, and do multiple things, he can do that. And I don't think he's going to command a whole ton of money. So if it turns out now, it's no, by no sure thing that he's going to come here. But if it turns out that he does come here, I think people who haven't seen a lot of the Colts and haven't seen a lot of Zach Pascal, I think they might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I just think that people aren't going to be pleasantly surprised. I mean, maybe they'll be pleasantly surprised, but I think people thought like, "Hey, maybe they'll get Allen Robinson." You know, "Hey, maybe right. they'll you know they'll get one of the one of the top wide receivers." They clearly have a need for somebody other than Devontae Smith who can be dynamic. Yes, and he's not dynamic. Who? He's, uh, oh no, he's, no, he's no, reliable. No. Right, right, he's steady. But, yeah, but he's kind of what you. He's kind of what you. Want He's the girlfriend your... who can cook. <laughs> I think I think that's probably selling him a little short. I mean, he, I, I like a couple things about him. I like his size. Um, I mean, a lot of slot receivers are, are little bitty guys that can't do a whole lot, certainly can't block. This guy's 6'2", 215, so he can do some of that stuff. Yeah, uh, he yeah. can work the middle of the field. He can take the big hit. He runs – I'll tell you this, he runs really good patterns. Mm-hmm. He's got good hands and catches the ball. 
Uh, and if you want to do some tricky stuff, if you want to jet sweep him, he can do that kind of thing. Look, he's not—he's he, not going to the Pro Bowl anytime soon. But in a couple of years, in a couple of back-to-back years there in Indianapolis, you know, he averaged over 14 yards a catch, which for slot receivers is pretty good. So I, I think if you're—and again, we're projecting all this. I don't even know if this is going to happen. But sure, if it turns—but if it right. turns out that you do this, then I think what what is in Nick Sirianni's mind is he's looking at. Devontae Smith is one receiver for sure. Uh, I think he's looking at Quez Watkins as the guy who can be the deep threat guy, who can be your nine-route guy that can be the stretch of the defense guy. He has that kind of speed. And I, I think there's more there to Quez Watkins. I, I think, hope so. I think he could really develop. I thought that last September, and by November, I saw nothing. Yeah, uh, I, he came along, but not quite as far as I thought. But if you, that other receiver needs to be a speed guy who can threaten the defense deep. And Quez has enough speed to do that. Well, then you're going to open up the middle of the field. You're going to work it with your slot and your tight end. You have a good tight end in Goddard. And, uh, you know, and Zach is, is a guy that can sort of play in there and do those kinds of things. So I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more thumbs up on, on the idea of signing him than our caller was. Okay. And, uh, Again, and uh, I have no strenuous objection, but to take it back to what I was saying uh, a moment earlier, it's like, oh, not only can she – cook but this girl can I, parallel listen park. i know because like you and i park. two weeks ago we were talking about the wide receivers and you and i are talking about oh you know maybe alan robinson maybe chris yeah. godwin i mean we're talking about elite yeah, well, players yeah, uh, and you know, okay this is what you got but i think that in the right system and in the right system playing under this coach in indianapolis he was pretty productive okay uh d in virginia has got some things to share today hi d hey good morning gentlemen hey first of all ray uh, congratulations on the maxwell thank you d and, uh, I'm glad that you guys brought up Claude Giroux because, you know, a lot of us are diehard Flyers fans and pretty much, you know, turn their backs, turn their heads, and, you know, would hate to, you know, you know, log on and see, oh, wow, you know, they, they traded Giroux. I mean, I, I think the guy epitomizes what you said uh, earlier, uh, Ray, about speaking the truth. I mean, sometimes he was great, sometimes he was good, sometimes he wasn't good enough, but he right. always played and played hard. So, you know, this town loves a guy like that. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys brought that up. And uh, as far as the Eagles things, this has been a crazy, you know, free agency period. I got it. Um, but those teams that made some of those big splash moves, their rosters were built. Cleveland sucked for a while. Um, so did the Chargers. And you can say about the Bills, too. So these teams built up their rosters over years from getting high draft picks, whereas the Eagles were competitive and we didn't really pick high. So, hey, we didn't make those flashy moves. Hey, how we earn your money now? Build the team, draft wisely, put something around Hurt. If he's not the guy moving forward, then you do what the GM does and go get us a quarterback. And uh, as far as the slot receiver, yeah, I'm not all out on Pasquale, but I'd rather Jarvis Landry. But as far as Eagles fans, you know, calm down. We don't need to go buy the bright, shiny object all the time. You know, let's, let's just, you know, build a team. Yeah. Well, I think that um, the opportunity is there. Um, and, thank, and thank you, T. Um, yeah, the opportunity is there. Uh, that's why I'm really looking forward to this draft. I'm really looking – you know, we all know – how Howie likes to approach the draft. We know how much he loves to wheel and deal and play the board and all that kind of stuff. And he's never gone into a draft where he's had this much, has had this many cards to play. You know, he's, got, he's, he's going into this with, with three aces, okay? He's going into this with three first-round picks. Let's see what he does with them. I, I mean, I think, I, I think it's very unlikely, very unlikely that he's just going to sit there at 15, 16, and 19 and just take three players. Uh, but I'll tell you, that I think there is an argument to be made for that. I mean, I think there are enough really good players in areas where the Eagles have needs that you could get those guys, 15, 16, 19. You don't have to get too cute here. The players are going to be there. you got the picks to go get them. 
but I but knowing how he's knowing how his propensity to want to trade and to and to kind of make a splash, not just for the purposes of making a splash, but he just likes to, he you know he's not a reactive guy. He wants to make things happen. I have a feeling that uh, the Eagles they have three first round picks now, but they're not going to use them all. They're going to and package, would, or they're going to trade out, or they're going to do something. I would not object if they use two of them and then trade the third one for a first rounder next year, kind of hedging your bet with Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't that, be the worst. I would be completely fine with. Yeah, that. that wouldn't be the worst strategy. If I were approaching it, um, if, if I were approaching it, I would, I would play the board. You know, I would, I would look at the board. I wouldn't jump to it. I wouldn't do it. I really wouldn't do it until it was my turn. Until we were up on the board. But I want to see. I want to see every move that's made above me. And if there's a player there that I really like, that and I and I know, hey, this this guy, this guy is a fit. He's perfect for what our coaches want to do. And I know there's, there's, you know, we could trade out now and we could get a couple picks later in this draft and maybe get a higher pick next year and do all of that stuff. And teams will be, if the phone will be ringing, that opportunity will be there. But if I'm looking at the board and I see a guy that I really like and I know he can come in and play right away, I'm going to take him. Yeah. By the way, last night when we were at the dinner, I got to see this guy, Joe Santa Liquito, who I guess wrote your bio for the, uh, for the program. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Joe, you did a great job last night because they gave Joe a lot of behind-the-scenes responsibilities where he was kind of like hurting people from this from point A to point B and getting them where they needed to be. And, Joe, you did, uh, you did terrific work last night. Oh, well, thank you, guys. Right, you won something last night? <laughs> yeah, it's sitting on the kitchen table right now. <laughs> Listen, I actually was just calling to congratulate you. Uh, if it wasn't for Ray, I wouldn't be part of the Maxwell Club. Ray's the one, Jesus God, uh, 15, 16 years ago, that went to them and just said, hey, this guy covers a lot of high school football. He might be a consideration. And uh, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in in a lot of different areas if it wasn't for Ray. Uh, I keep on calling him the prince of the city, and he is in so many different ways. Um, the most important question, Ray, is do you have – did you remember to take home – the uh, Tommy McDonald uh, piece. I did. I did. Glenn, there was a and, – and thank you, Joe, thank you for getting that for me and bringing it to me because I was thinking about during the night that I wanted to go get that and I had forgotten and you brought it. There was a, there was a t- centerpieces on the tables with, with, with pictures of previous Maxwell winners. And, yeah. one, and one of the centerpieces was a really great picture of Tommy McDonald at the University of Oklahoma. Oh, and, I, uh, and I, way, I, my I, table, yeah, my table is John Capaletti. Yeah, and I saw that, and I said, oh, i got to go get that. And then yeah. with so many things were going on, I totally forgot. And then at the end of the night, Joe went and got it for me. So, uh, so Joe, yes, that, that, trust me, that will find a place of honor in our home. So, but the, listen, uh, I, it, it was great seeing everybody last night. And I believe is it is the first time I'm part of the I'm part of the Maxwell Club. It's the first time in, in, in two years or a year, it's a year, right, since the pandemic. That's true. That's that true. We had this, so, and uh, couldn't have been couldn't have been a better event. Couldn't have, couldn't have honored better people. No, it was nice. a great it was it was well, a great thanks. one, and it was a, and it was a great thing to see uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, who Joe knows very well. Joe covered him at Salem High School, uh, and uh, in fact recommended him for the for the Jim Henry Award as the, as the top high school player that he won, and to see him come back now as the uh, Burt Bell winner of Player of the Year in the National Football League. And uh, what a great guy he was. I mean, I, I got to meet him last night, and terrific kid, and boy, what a bright future has in, he has in the National Football League. He's a really, really special player. 
Um, did they, they had the dinner the night before where you got to um, uh, hang out with those guys, right? Just a smaller group? Yeah, um, a little smaller. Uh, but it was, yeah, they had a, on Thursday night, there was a, there was a pre-dinner where they kind of just welcomed everybody and kind of gave us the lay of the land of what was expected of us on Friday and whatnot. So that was where I got to, I got to meet some of these guys for the first time. And, um, did you and tell then, Jordan Davis he's, he's, he's going to be a Philadelphia Eagle? <laughs> uh, no, we didn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't get to didn't that. Get around to that. We didn't get to that, but he was, um, he, he was there and I got to meet all the, all the other award winners, including the high school award winners. It was, it was really, um, a terrific event, and I, I, I give tremendous credit to um, Mark Walpert and Mark Diano, the two guys who are really heading the Maxwell Club now. I mean, that is, that is a tough dinner to pull off, boy. I mean, 800 people, plus you got award winners that are flying in from here and there, and you got to get them hotel rooms, and you got to get them picked up at the airport, and there's so much that goes into staging a dinner of that scope. Um, and they did a, a terrific job last night. And as you said earlier, I mean, Joe DeCamera, who really had to kind of pull it together as the MC did a terrific job. It was a, it was a great night. It was really, really Real a great night. I mean, we've been to some of those Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, that go on forever, mm-hmm. and the speeches go on forever. And this one, uh, it was like it was like the Academy Awards. Like you speak too long, they're going to start playing the music. Move on. Yeah, they didn't start playing the music on me, did they? No. Okay, good. <laughs> you were great. Ray, there wasn't a, a dry eye in the house. I tried to. I tried. I, I timed it. I wrote it out and I timed it. And I, I timed it out at uh, two minutes and thirty-five seconds. So I figured uh, I went three twenty. Ooh, really? Well, that was the applause. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't forgot. count on that. I, I forgot that part. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't counting. on No, that. I recorded it. It was three twenty. And I, again, I really appreciate you mentioning me in there. It was very nice. Well, I appreciate you. In there. Um, okay, come up. We're going to talk some Phillies and get your calls two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. So, so a lot of our um, normal Saturday features we're not doing today because of all of the news. So tomorrow we will do our Shibe Sports this uh, week in Philadelphia sports history. Have a good one. We'll do that tomorrow. Uh, we'll do what we're watching tomorrow. And what's great, Ray, is you and I are watching the same show. Yes. And I think we probably have different viewpoints on it. Oh, okay. Um, which is, I think you hate it. Um, I'm kind of leaning in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> I've seen two episodes. How many have you seen? I've seen two. Okay, I don't know if the third one's out. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away, but um, if I may try to catch a third tonight if it's if it's available. Uh, and what's the third? Oh, Ray's college draft preview. We will do tomorrow. We do have Tell Us Your Story coming up at noon with Fran Dunphy, Big Five legend, so you can look forward to that, and we'll get your calls coming up. Ray and Glenn, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Shibe Vintage Sports welcomes college basketball to town and invites everyone to see a unique piece of Philly sports history at their shop in Center City. In addition to the best throwback apparel in town, and we all know Shibe has that, Shibe is also home to the legendary Spectrum backboard that was used in the 1992 regional final. So come and experience the significant part of what many folks consider the greatest shot in college basketball history. You know it, Christian Leitner, um, as, as Duke beats Kentucky. It's there. So stop by at 13th and Walnut before you head to your next game or any time that you're in town. Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. For the Phillies here, comes into a situation. Runners first and third, one out and facing Kyle Schwarber. What a breaking ball. It's hit well to left. See you later. New pitcher. New ball game. Schwarber, number 19, and the Nats have tied it. Bang! Zoom goes Schwarber again. 
By the way, that new pitcher was Archie Bradley of the Phillies, right? So <laughs> mo- most of these highlights you hear with people hitting home runs involve the Phillies bullpen. Uh, and the music, which you may not recognize, is from the uh, hit show Stranger Times on Netflix. Um, and um, the, the guy who put this together titled it Schwarber Times. So that's why you hear that backdrop. Oh, okay. Um, I like the signing of Kyle Schwarber like I like the signing of Nick Castellanos. Um, and they, by the way, they got the two of them for the same price as Chris Bryant. So I'll take that two for one. Mm-hmm. And I agree with, I think Marcus Hayes, and I know Marcus Hayes is the guy who wrote this. And I agree with Marcus, and I am fine with this, that Bryce Harper, was the huge factor in the reason the Phillies did all this. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Bryce Harper told Dave Dombrowski, look, or John Middleton, I signed here for all these years and all this money, and I don't want to spend the rest of my career looking up at the Atlanta Braves, or this year it could be the Mets. Right. I want to make the playoffs, and I don't want to hear about this you know, threshold you've got for luxury tax. Pay the damn money. Mm-hmm. And they did, and so I will applaud Bryce Harper for that. Yeah, I um, I don't think there's any question that at the very beginning of the week, Harper kind of came out and said, you know, we need some help here. <laughs> you know, our lineup needs some work. Uh, and within 48 hours, you had the Schwarber signing, followed closely by the Castiano signing, and I, I don't think there's any – it's no coincidence that the week started with Bryce Harper sort of saying, hey, let's get going. And you get two big signings back to back, two thirty home run guys back to back. I think, but here's my and I, I how am I, how how should I say this? I don't have any objections to the two signings, mm-hmm. but do you get the feeling that there that there's really a a, a master plan here that there's a blueprint? Because to no. me, to me, a lot of this doesn't really fit. I, I don't. I don't know. Everybody's try- everybody's trying to put together the batting order and talking about it. how good the batting order is going to be. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm trying bad. to say, okay, fine. But at some point, you're going to have to go out in the field. Yeah. Who are you problem. sending out there that can catch the ball? Well, that's a problem. So here's your batting order, and it will it will back up what you say. All right. So Schwarber leads off. He's playing left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Segura bats second. He's on the downward slide, but he still hit 290 last year, 45 extra base hits. Still has a little bit of speed, as much as anybody runs these days. I'll, I'll take Segura as a two-hole hitter. Mm-hmm. Harper three and right. Mm-hmm. Castellanos four. DH. Sometimes he'll play. He'll play third base sometimes and and make you miss Alec Boom. <laughs> <laughs> he'll play the field a little bit or play left field a little bit. Uh, Hoskins uh, is in the five hole playing first base. Mm-hmm. JT's your catcher bet in six. Right. Uh, I'm going to bet on the young uh, Bryson Stott to win that shortstop battle. If if not, Steedy. But yeah, know, I'll, I'll bet not opening day. I, I bet you by probably. the end. I bet you by the end of the year it's him. Okay. But I'm I'm betting to start the season it's probably going to be DD. All right. Uh, Alec Bohm bats eighth with the opportunity to move up. By the way, if Alec Bohm becomes the Alec Bohm you had a couple years ago, I could see him batting two. But off of last year, I'm going to bury him toward the end of the lineup. Okay. And then whatever center fielder I have out there, and I got to hate that they signed Herrera, but maybe Vierling can play. I don't know. So that's that's my nine hole hitter. So that's that's an imposing order. Oh, they'll score runs. I don't think yeah. there's any question they're going to score runs. Yeah, but boy, it, you're right. It is an epically poor defensive team. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, if you look at and and your pitching staff right now, I mean, the great, you know, the great. 
worried lurking in the distance now is Joe Girardi saying, yeah, Zach Wheeler has a little, little, little tired arm. Don't Boy, how many times at spring training have we heard, but it's not serious, not, nothing to really worry about. Yeah, oh, sure. really? Tell, yeah. me not, tell me not to worry um, a month from now, okay, when he's actually pitching. I, that, that to me was, I mean, that was a five-alarm fire. To me, yeah. when I when I got that news, because because the way Girardi said it and the way he kind of just kept, no, nah, don't, it's not nothing. We're not worried about it right now. I have heard so many managers say that at this time of the year, and it turns out to be an epic problem. Need to see him on the mound soon. I think he had the flu or something the other day too. They said not COVID, not COVID, but I think he might have had the flu. So they think he's going to be out there soon. And you're right. I need to see him throwing the ball in the spring and looking good. I also think that once again the bullpen is just you know sign some guys and hope. Right. Um, with Kniebel, they signed to a ten-year, a ten, not ten-year, ten million-dollar deal. Uh, Brad Hand, uh, you know, once upon a time he was good. Yeah. Familia, who by the way, he's got domestic abuse stuff in his history yeah, too. He's, he's got that history. Yeah, I don't like that at all. All, he, all I've ever seen him do for the last couple of years. I mean, I know he had a good year in the past. A couple of years ago, we've right. seen that before. Yes. Uh, all I've seen him do for the last couple of years is blow games. And, I mean, one and, after another after another. Yes, and this is the problem with relief pitchers, which is it's so hard to know year to year if they're going to be good or bad. Like when they signed Archie Bradley last year, I thought, like, that's a nice signing. Archie Bradley got some closing time in Arizona, but not a ton. He's a guy who's ready to move up. And then he came in and he stunk. I know he got hurt. <laughs> they always get hurt anyway. So you were, you were a lot higher on that signing than I yes. was. Yes. Yes, to your credit, you thought, like, what's who cares? Well, my point was, you know, they signed him and said, ah, we got our closer. Oh, and I said, based on what? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's he was a set-up guy. He was a middle-inning kind of guy. Had a little bit of success. Numbers weren't terrible. But he wasn't proven in the role that you signed him for. I know. So what you hope, because, again, we've seen the flip side, right? You see guys who are relievers, and they're no good, and then the next year they're good. Right. Right? This is the 2017 Eagles theory. Right. This is the, everybody's Patrick Robinson. Mm-hmm. And so you just hope you just hope that some of these guys end up having good years. And I can't predict whether they will or they weren't. You know, who's a critical, critical guy this year? And we never mentioned his name is Ranger Suarez. I was just thinking the same thing because he was it was a really revelation good. last year. Total revelation. Right. I mean, like Ranger Suarez was just kind of a guy. And then he pitched last year. He pitched 106 innings with an ERA of. 136. Right. Finished the year in the rotation, doing great. Gave up four home runs in 106 innings. Yeah, I know. Nobody does. That's that's for most Philly starters. That's a game. But that's but that's that's the problem. It just seems. I'd look at that. Don't believe it. Yeah, I don't believe it. (laughs) I don't believe it because he started the year as just another guy in a bad bullpen. Yeah, and then you kind of wound up putting mm-hmm. him in the rotation because you had no better options, yeah. and it turns out that the guy pitched. He and I'm not going to take it away from him. He pitched terrific. Yeah, but you just wonder. He said, oh, "I don't know. Can he? Is that is that is that real? I got to see it again before I'm going to believe it's real." So if the rotation is Wheeler, who was great, right, second in Cy Young, yeah, Nola, and I don't think Nola was as bad as he looked last year. I, I think Nola's going to bounce back some. Hope so. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Alvar- uh, not Alvarado, excuse me. He's in your bullpen. Um, Suarez is a three, right? He could be a three. You hope. Good three? Yeah. Well, well, listen, if, he's, if, he's, if he pitches to the point that he pitched last year, he's better than that. But yeah. I'm, I'm going to say I, I'm not going to get carried away to say he's going to do that again. So let's, let's just slot him at three. 
All right, so he's three. Kyle Gibson, who was good before he got here, can he be good again? I don't know. <laughs> okay. And then you got okay. Eflin, you know. And Eflin. And hey, at least it's not Vinny Velasquez. No, that's true. Right? We don't have to worry about that anymore. That's true. I just don't know. Um, you know, they're going to be you – know, their lineup is going to be really potent. There's no yeah. question about that. I mean, they, they top to bottom, they're, they're going to hit the ball. They're going to score runs. But their pitching to me is, is real thin. The bullpen to me still doesn't have any solid answers. And they're so bad defensively. I mean, they're no, going to terrible. They're, they're going to have to, uh, Glenn. They're going to have to win games. Thirteen ten. I mean, that's and it's, yeah. and good teams. Good teams that go. Good teams to go to the postseason don't play thirteen ten games. That's uh, that's not the way you play your schedule. Harvey's wall bangers. Or? Yeah. Once I mean, once in a while, <laughs> once in a while, you'll get a team that can be that. But yeah. r- rarely. I mean, you, you yeah. got to play better defense and you got to get better pitching. I mean, they're yeah. going to score. I'll tell you one thing. This team is going to play the longest games in the National League. Oh, year. yeah. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. you, when you go there, pack a lunch, okay? And maybe pack dinner. And a dinner. Because and a you're snack. going to be there a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there you go. I, I, You know, I am not getting carried away with, oh, the Phillies are going to be great, because I don't think they're going to be great. Uh, and I think the Mets are going to be good, which bothers me a lot. The Braves lost Freeman. Uh, I don't know how good the Braves will be. They'll but, be good again. Because they have because they have a great farm system. Because they have a fun, see, and that you, that's the point is the Braves just keep developing guys. The Braves have good young players. Yeah, a ton of them. The Phillies have guys they bought. Right. So that is a difference. Well, that's oh. why they're in this position. That's why they have to go out and spend this kind of yeah. money to yeah. bring in these guys because they haven't been able to develop anything from their farm system. Yeah, very true. Brandon in Brookhaven joins us. Hi, Brandon. Hey guys. Uh, first off, congratulations, Ray. On Thanks, your Brandon. Award. I appreciate and that. I, I actually was curious, is that a speech of yours posted somewhere that I could watch it? Uh, I'm not aware. <laughs> I'm not aware of it. Uh, you know, trust me, it, 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 it wasn't Kennedy's inauguration address, okay? It's, uh, it, it, if, you, if, you, if you can stumble upon it, fine, but uh, you don't necessarily have to spend the whole day going to look for it. Well, you are pretty much a day that shall area, live in so. infamy. <laughs> you know, but thanks, well, Brandon. It, when, was, it was quite a night. Yeah. Ben, I think you said you recorded it. Maybe with Ray's permission, you can uh, post it. I did. It's uh, I got. I sometimes have a tough time downloading something that's that long onto social media. But if if I can figure it out, I will. Uh, okay. I, will um, I have a quick question though. I now that they signed Fletcher Cox, I don't know if it, what how it works out, but I don't understand the dead cap. I saw conflicting reports on the dead cap hit. You either you understand it. Not Ray, I defer to you. Ray, you won the Maxwell Club Award, damn it. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it, it said nothing about the salary cap. Um, I don't know. I, I, I know this. I know that the, that the Eagles talked to Fletcher at the end of the season about restructuring his contract, about restructuring. Uh, and, and he and his agent were reluctant to do that. So that's what brought them to the point where, okay, we'll release you, and maybe we'll come back and we'll do a one-year deal. But um, and it was all it was the idea in mind was some way to to get him under the cap in a manageable way. Um, I, I believe if they go to the one year contract thing, I believe they can get that done. That to me seems workable. The question is, will he find a better offer somewhere else? OK. OK. And as for receiver, I don't care. Just as long as Rager's not back and they, any, they can put anyone else in that lineup. I'm okay with it. Yeah, so, you, thank you, you guys. All right, I, thanks I so much. You say that now, but I don't know. And I, 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 there's reason to believe Rager's not going to be back. 
I don't think it's a sure thing. No, okay. I don't Better think it's a sure 50, thing. 50. I, um, you know, you know Howie, not just Howie, but any general manager doesn't want to admit to to a, a first round bust too quickly. You know, they want to give the guy every 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 opportunity to come back and and prove that he can play in the NFL, and that it was not a colossal mistake. So I'm sure there's a part of Howie that's that's saying to the coaches, "Come on, let's bring it back and give him another try." Um, but the evidence through two years is not encouraging. And and here's the thing, Glenn, and I'm, he wasn't that good to begin with. No, I, you know, I mean, he no, was he was to me he was a huge reach when you took him in the first round. Well, that's what's tough for Howie to admit, though. Yeah, that, yeah, that's and that's, you're asking him to admit. That's it's not like this was a guy that had a a really stellar college career and you thought was a really good player who's come here and had a couple of really tough years you can it's it's easier to make the argument that let's give him another chance because we've seen that we there's evidence that this guy's a better player than what he's shown frankly there is no evidence that that's out with with Jalen Rager you go back to TCU I mean he was a very up and down player in a, in a conference that plays very little defense so I think I just think he I just think he was a bad pick from the minute you made it and the question is now when are you when are you when are you as an executive prepared to admit that hopefully soon Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. 592 Noon, tell us your story with Fran Dunphy. Ray, I'll let you kind of tee that up here if you would. Yes, Fran Dunphy, uh, well, you've, you've said it earlier. I mean, a true legend in uh, college basketball in this city. Uh, winning as coach in Big Five history at two schools at Penn. Won a ton of Ivy League championships there. They succeeded John Chaney, stepping into some very big shoes at Temple. He won there. Uh, and what, unless you're an old, unless you're an old timer like me, you probably don't remember Fran Dunphy as a player, uh, but he was a, an outstanding player at LaSalle on a team that a lot of people think may have been the greatest team ever to play in this city, the 23-1 and LaSalle Explorers under Tom Gola. So uh, Fran Dunphy has, uh, has quite a story to tell. And we'll get all that at noon. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. The football season is officially over, but the beginning of springtime means a few things. Great weather, grilling, and tire sales. So stop by the local United Tire now through March 26 to receive up to $70 back when you purchase four BF Goodrich tires. Nothing says hello spring like switching out your winter tires for a brand new set of passenger or light truck tires. Mark your calendars and head into United Tire where you can trust that you're getting the best deal on industry's most trusted tires. Remember, don't drive alone, drive United. Wrangland 94 WIP. This is when we go uh, check in with our doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard is with us today. Doc, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Good. Beautiful day out there. So, Doc, kind of news occurs yesterday at the University of Michigan Pro Day. David Ojaba. Ray, David Ojaba, sure first rounder, would look good in the Eagles uniform. Absolutely. And a lot of yeah. people were linking him with the Eagles, too. Well, uh, in a non-contact passing uh, drill, uh, Dr. Pollard, he goes to the ground, um, is there for a while, leaves on crutches with a boot on his left foot, a wrap on his left leg. Mike Lombardi, frequently, frequent contributor excuse me, to WIP, posts last night, I talked to a few people at the Michigan workout, David Ojaba, the potential first-rounder, injured his Achilles. Horrible news. He doesn't say that he tore it. He says he injured it. I guess the question we are asking you is, let's, let's look at the scenarios, uh, if he tore it or – I don't know what the step below that would be. Actually, Adam Schefter reported that it is a tear. Oh, it is? A tear. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, Doc, what does this mean? 
Well, obviously, it's not very good news. Um, you know, the Achilles is a pretty important uh, structure as far as allowing for, you know, explosive movement and athletic activity. And so usually when it tears, it tears uh, right above where it attaches to the heel bone or the calcaneus. And so, you know, the most of the time for young active athletes, uh, surgery is done to put it back together again. You know, essentially you just stitch the two, two ends of the tendon back together. Um, but, you know, the, the stitching's the easy part. The hard part is that the tendon has to actually heal itself. You know, the stitches that are put yeah. in aren't strong enough to, to hold the, the forces that are going to be placed on it. So um, that healing process takes time. And, uh, you know, that time uh, it can be anywhere from six months to over a year. Um, not, just, not just the healing, but also the muscle strength has to come back in the coordination. I think we can all think of some of examples of people that have, some athletes that have had Achilles tears. Some have come back, you know, very well and some really haven't. And so, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to predict. You know, most is youth of the time, on his side? Uh, yeah, obviously, the younger you are, the better you are at healing things up. You know, it's not 100%, but it's better to, you know, you have a better chance of healing it up if you're, you know, 22 as opposed to 35. Yeah, so, the, um, the, the case that, what this what this brings to mind is Sidney Jones. Um, yes, yeah. Exactly the same thing. I mean, he had his pro day at exactly the same time of the year, tore his Achilles. Um, Eagles drafted him in the second. He would have been a first-round pick for sure. Eagles draft him in the second round, take a flyer on him, take a chance. Uh, and he basically missed the whole first year. He came back and played at the very end, like in one game, to get a little taste, but that was it. And then, of course, never became the player that everybody thought he was going to. Um, Ojabo now different player, different position, bigger guy. But um, I mean, is if you were if you were the medical guy sitting in the room with an NFL general manager now, and it's draft night, what would you tell him about taking a shot on this guy? Because everybody knows he's a quality player, would have certainly been a mid first round pick. Uh, but now you've got this Achilles tear. Um, if you're talk, look, if the general manager turns to you and says, "Doctor, okay, here we are in the first round." Do we take a flyer on this guy or do we wait? What would you tell him? Well, I think certainly the position they play plays a large role in how big of a chance you're going to take. Um, you know, somebody like a lineman uh, stands a better chance of, you know, recovering fully and you know, functioning very well uh, after an Achilles rupture, whereas, you know, somebody like a wide receiver, a cornerback, somebody who absolutely needs, you know, explosive speeds for, you know, long distances, they'd be, that would be taking more of a chance. So, you know, as as a lineman, if he was truly, you know, a transcendent talent, um, you probably would try to take a chance on that. Yeah. All right. Tough break for the kid. Um, Dr. Mark Pollard, always a pleasure to speak with you. Have a uh, have a great weekend. Hey, thanks. You guys, too. All right, there take you care, go. doctor. Ray, we're uh, we're going to discuss that more tomorrow. We've got to take a quick break here because we've got to get to tell us your story. We are on uh, till one. Phillies follow us. So we want to make sure. We have time for that. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, Ray, Fran Dunphy has earned the nickname of Mr. Big Five through a lifetime spent in Philadelphia basketball. He starred on some great LaSalle teams back in the day. He is the winningest coach in Penn history. And he succeeded John Chaney and led the Owls for 13 years at Temple. 
The man coached his teams to 17 NCAA tournaments, and he joins us now. Um, Fran, it is quite a resume, and I know it starts in southwest Philly before you moved to Drexel Hill at 10. Give us, let's start at the beginning. Tell us your first memories of watching or picking up a basketball as a boy. Uh, I, I think what I would walk home from most blessed Sacrament high school, or high school, grade school, and uh, uh, around the corner from Warrington or Springfield onto Ruby Street. And I'm walking down the street, and I, we lived at 1218 South Ruby. And uh, and I'm hoping that my Uncle Tony had put up a basketball backboard and rim hanging over the railing of our row home. And uh, each day I'd come, and, and it wasn't there. And then finally it did happen and i'm out there banging up jumpers to all all hours of the night i'm you know i'm nine years old or eight years old and then i guess the neighbors complained and we had to take it down which was maybe the as dark a day as i had had up into those eight or nine years (laughs) and never to be seen again on the on the on the railing but uh but that was my start and i can remember um you know, just playing in the street, you know, trying to, and then we lived uh, right near Shaw junior high school. So we'd go over there they had some baskets there. And, but I, I really didn't play that much football there. It was all step ball and wall ball and wire ball and hose ball or anything else ball that you could find and playing in the street to the point of when we did finally move to Delaware County. Uh, I asked my father to take me back to the neighborhood. Like for the first six months, probably I went back to, to Ruby Street, which which my grandmother lived on, and uh, just played in the street with the fellas, you know, and uh, it was just awesome. I, and but finally, I made the transition and then played CYO basketball at St. Dorothy's and uh, in Drexel Hill, and for a guy by the name of Ed Smith, who was uh, he was an Upper Darby policeman, a motorcycle cop, so we all thought he was heroic for, just for that. Uh, and then he coached. Uh, CYO fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth grade football. He coached fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth grade basketball. He coached our, some of our baseball stuff, took it to the Penn Relays, and drove a tractor trailer like seemingly every other Sunday, filled with newspapers somewhere to get money to to put uniforms on all these guys. And <laughs> he was just a remarkable, remarkable guy. And you know, like most of us at that age, we don't appreciate. And then when we finally do appreciate when we can go back to Ed Smith and tell him what a hero of ours he was, he was not there anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those regrets that you have that you couldn't tell Ed Smith what he meant to you. And uh, so those are that's sort of the start Mm -hmm. that we that we had. And uh, but grateful for my opportunities to be on the streets of Philly playing ball and then go into the CYO programs and that kind of gave me a great start. Well, you got started, as you said, St. Dorothy's, and uh, anybody from Delaware County knows how fierce that St. Dorothy's, St. Bernadette's rivalry is. That uh, that got you started off early. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, for a guy who went on and had such a, such yeah, I basically lived your lifetime in the Big Five, what's your first memory of the Big Five, Fran? When was the first time you went to the Palestra? At what point was the Big Five, and when did you become aware of this institution, this basketball institution that was right here in Philadelphia? Yeah, probably in those CYO years, right? Uh, I can remember one of our good buddies that we had, a guy's name is Bill Holston, his dad, 
Jack Holston took us down there. Maybe I'm thinking it was a triple header or something. And, uh, you know, he just watched, sat and watched basketball all day long. And maybe it was, uh, you know, Villanova or, or St. Joe's or LaSalle. I can't remember exactly who was all in the games. Probably all three of those were in the games. And uh, so you, you got that taste for it. And, and then it became when you got a little older in, in high school, uh, that's oftentimes what you did on Wednesdays, perhaps Friday, but probably Saturday, because that's when the doubleheaders were. And, uh, and then it got onto TV as well. And so then you, you came, became ingrained in it. And in, in our day, when we grew up, uh, Ray, obviously you're in that era. You didn't think about, you know, you, you thought about going to a, a, a big five institution. Sure. Uh, and it, at, at that point, any one of them would have been uh, perfect. And uh, so, but you didn't think about going away or going to, uh, a Big Ten school or one of those things. You were going to play basketball, and, uh, and you, if you could do it in the Big Five, it would have been uh, all the dreams come true that you would have wanted. So how did you end up, uh, 1967, I believe, you end up at LaSalle. How did that come to be? Actually, it was 1966, but it came to be because my high school basketball coach, Dan Doherty, uh, was pretty good friends with Joe Heyer, and I'm sure he said, I got this guy who's uh, who's an okay player and he would love to have an opportunity in a place like LaSalle. And uh, and Joe Heyer gave me a chance. And, and it was in those days, uh, it was not a, it was a tuition scholarship. So uh, I got that opportunity to, to go to LaSalle. I was thrilled to have it. Uh, I took the subway up and walked up from 20th and uh, Broad and Alney to 20th and Alney and and uh, started my career there. I'd occasionally get a, 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 a one, my freshman basketball coach was a guy named Tony Abbott, another LaSalle basketballer, and he would take me to uh, after I he would take me home basically, take me to to St. Dorothy's Church, and I'd walk home from there. And uh, we had great talks on the way home. I'm sure Tony did most of the talking because I was not the most verbose dude in America in those days. Not that I'm a, a whole lot more these days, but. Uh, so it, it was that kind of opportunity I had. LaSalle gave it to me, and I'm grateful for that. Very, very grateful. And then, uh, and then I finally, uh, I'm going to tell you a story that because I think thinking of what you guys did with Jim Lynham one one time, and he told the story of getting his scholarship from uh, St. Joe's. Here's what happened to me at LaSalle in my sophomore year. Uh, we're deep into practice, preseason, pra- preseason practice, and uh, I'm probably not paying attention, which was was par for the course for me in those days. And Jim Harding was our coach. So Jim Harding, at some point, and probably it was hour three of a three and a half, four hour practice, said, uh, "Dumpy, did you listen to what I just said?" And I, I said, "Coach, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I just, I didn't, I didn't pay attention right there." So he grabs me after practice and says. What's up with you? I said, Coach, I'm I just I'm struggling a little bit. You know, I take the subway up in the morning. By the time I get home, it's like ten o'clock, and you know, it's just it's a it's a long day. And uh, I said, I just I guess I'm just I was just t- tired at that point. And he, and he pretty much said, Well, that's too bad. You you're gonna you got to suck it up or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe the following weekend, it's a Saturday practice, and um, with Larry Cannon. After he said, Where are you going? I said, well, I'm walking up the subway. He said, where you, where you live? I said, I live in Drexel Hill. And he said, uh, all right, well, I'm going there. A the friend of mine lives there. So he, so he takes me home. 
So he says, why don't you have a room on campus? I said, well, I sort of hinted at that to Coach Harding uh, last week, and he told me that's too bad. Well, that Monday I get to practice. Before I go to practice, uh, Jim Harding grabs me and says, you go over and see brother whoever, and uh, he's going to get your room. It turns out that Cannon then goes to Harding and says, uh, Cannon never told me this. I figured it out on my own, mm-hmm. that Cannon says, to Harding, you know, this kid's doing, he's traveling too much. Let's get him a room on campus. And, and so Larry Cannon got me my room on campus at LaSalle in the middle nice. of my sophomore year. But that was the kind of player, person, teammate that Larry Cannon was. He was going to take care of those that in many ways couldn't take care of themselves. Well, you just, you just mentioned two huge names in your, in your history, <laughs> or Jim Harding and Larry Cannon. Uh, Larry Cannon, of course, one of the one of the great high school players in Philadelphia history, a huge star at Lincoln, uh, big recruit, comes to LaSalle, uh, and Jim Harding comes in to become the coach, and they build and uh, they they wind up building this team, which is a tremendous team. They bring in Kenny Durrett, they bring in Bernie Williams, they bring in Fatty Taylor. Uh, you're there, Larry Cannon and his brother. Uh, and you got Jim Harding, who is, and you mentioned uh, three and three and a half hour practice. You weren't exaggerating. That that was kind of typical for him. Uh, and with that talent and that kind of coaching, you put together a team that, to this day, friend, people that have a memory that goes back far enough will sometimes argue that that's the greatest team that's ever played in the Big Five. I mean, that you got you guys were that good, um, but because of and you can talk a little bit about what the trouble that Jim got in. You wound up being on probation. But, boy, when you guys were on the floor, you were special to watch. Well, in that year, Ray, and I appreciate the comments, uh, I think we were really very, very good at Every one of these guys was a terrific player, to include Stan Ladarchik, who was, in my mind, Bobby Jones before there was Bobby Jones, just a guy who loved playing defense and who could make shots but was very uh, – comfortable in his own role and so we we had every aspect of the game covered fatty taylor was a terrific point guard and bernie williams a great shooting guard and county could do everything and uh Ladarchik was a great defensive forward and kenny durrett was arguably the best college basketball player in the history of philadelphia certainly in our eyes because we revered him so uh he was spectacular it was nothing he couldn't do and he, you know, he tears his knee up in the uh, in his senior year, in 1971, and and in those days the technology was not available medically to repair an ACL tear or whatever it was that he had, and so he didn't have a 12, 13, 14 year NBA career, which we all thought he would have had had he been healthy. And so Harding was very much a part of that too, Ray. I say it all the time that he was such a disciplinarian and such a tough guy to play for that by the time the next year hits and Tom Gola arrives, uh, we are so fundamentally sound in every aspect of the game, but we were all, then we were given this freedom to play by Tom Gola, and it just all worked. If it was in reverse, it never would have been able to work if we had had that freedom of what Gola gave to you and then try to put all the discipline in the next year. It, it just would not have been the ideal situation and and it really was ideal and 68 was a very tough year 69 was a beautiful experience so um what what you guys are talking about and for people who don't know your junior year the team ranked second in the country 23 and one 
which, you know, for a little school, I know the world was different back then, but even then, for a little school like LaSalle to be ranked second in the country at 23-1 and must have been fun, uh, but also painful not to be able to play in the tournament because uh, the, the program was slapped with a two-year NCAA probation because of stuff that had nothing to do with you, the other players, nothing to do with Gola. Um, I read a quote, and I guess I'm going to ask you to respond on this. Bernie Williams, who Ray said, you said, was the the shooting guard on the team, said, Coach told us we could lie down and die or play it tough. We decided right then we want to leave some people wondering what we could have been. So off of that frame, what was it like having such a great team but knowing that you couldn't play in the tournament? It, it was really tough, I would say, Glenn, but the NCAA tournament wasn't like it is today. So it wasn't this – as I recall, it was shattering, but it wasn't earth shattering and it didn't destroy our lives or any of that stuff. Uh, we, we just, I, I think we, we were understanding that we probably were really good. Could we have beaten, uh, you know, we had a great end of season game with Villanova who was also really, really good. As good as Kenny Durrett was, Howard Porter was right there. Some might argue even better. I, I don't because of my built-in biases towards Kenny Durrett. But, uh, but when we won that game, which and it was a terrific game, two top ten teams, and uh, so that we get we had that at least. You know, if we had not had that mm-hmm. that game, uh, then I think it would have been even harder. Um, but in those days too, there was I, I, I can't even remember the number of teams that were in the NCAA tournament. It could have been sixteen or. 24 i know it wasn't more than than that and uh so it 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 was okay we we hung in there we had this feeling of accomplishment that we knew we were pretty good and uh we wish we could have had the chance but it just didn't work out that way i will tell you there was one game that we played uh against the university of detroit i mentioned this the other day uh we and it was at home and it was the one game in my junior year i didn't play and i was sitting on the bench just marveling at the game because our guys were great. Cannon had like 32 and Williams had like 27 and Kenny Durrett had 19, 12 and six or something crazy uh, as a stat line. The other team had Spencer Haywood who had 32 points. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. 41 points and 32 rebounds. (laughs) There's a name too, Spencer Haywood. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there watching, saying, I want to be in this game, but you know, I'm enjoying the hell out of watching it from the bench. I was dying to be in there, but, God, it was a fantastic game. And the, and the tragedy of that is you, there's no way you can see it. Uh, you, there's no film of those games, and it just wasn't the way it was in those days. And and, and to talk a little bit further about that, I mean, that, that's that's how you teach today in the game of basketball and all, all sports. Film is your best teacher. And we just never had that kind of opportunity back in those days. Well, you um, you talked about that team, and they um, they're every bit of what you describe. And that year, twenty three and one, Glenn mentioned it. Um, LaSalle goes unbeaten in the Big Five for the first time in the school's history. Uh, you beat a very good Temple team, who later went on and won the NIT. You beat Indiana. You beat Syracuse. You beat Western Kentucky. You beat Creighton, and as you said, you beat Detroit with Spencer Haywood. Um, there was, I mean, you guys were such fun to watch. And I remember, and, and I looked this back up, I remember Sports Illustrated did a big story about you guys at midseason. Their, their college basketball writer, Curry Kirkpatrick, 
came and wrote about you guys. And what he wrote was, quote, LaSalle runs and runs and runs some more. They run better than any Eastern team since Temple with Guy Rogers and Hal Lear. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that was certainly the, for folks who don't remember what your team looked like. I mean, they were such fun to watch. You could do everything. Larry handled the ball. Bernie shot it. Uh, and you guys played at a pace that nobody else could keep up with. I mean, maybe Calvin Murphy with Niagara, but you managed beating him too. But, I mean, there weren't many teams that could just stay with you guys because you had so much talent and you and Tom Gola had you running that offense so beautifully that no team could stand up to your offensive pressure. Yeah, and I would agree. And, again, that, that goes back to, again, the, uh, the discipline that we had from the year before and then Tom Gola allowing you to uh, to play your game. So, you could imagine watching you, – you had the chance to watch Larry Cannon in person. Yeah. Uh, you, could, you can't imagine what it was like in a, in a practice setting that you saw every day and you'd see these passes and, and ways of playing the game that were just so far ahead of anything you ever thought was possible. Uh, you know, he'd be banging balls off guys' foreheads it just you know because they weren't ready for this kind of passing and opportunities that he was – creating out there and and fatty taylor was a tremendous defensive player but he knew exactly where the ball was supposed to go when he was handling it bernie williams had in a three-point line would have been so easy for him to to dominate from and uh, he would have been even a better scorer and and again durrett was the smoothest player anybody any of us had ever seen and he did everything it was just a remarkable group of guys and and it was uh the chemistry was perfect on that group and and then we had a guy coming off the bench, Ed Chesney, who was really a talented guy from Plymouth White Marsh High School. And Ches was really a good player, too. And uh, so we had just about everything figured out. And, and, and Gola was great with all of us. And, and But it was a crazy time for him, too, where he was working for the city. And so a lot of the practice opportunities came to Kurt Frommel, who was a former LaSalle player. And he did a lot of the coaching during the practice time. And but it was just great to have that. The goal is leadership was just so extraordinary, and we didn't appreciate it back in the day. But then, again, as we got older and more understanding of what's what life is really about, we appreciated the, the sacrifices that he made for us. Fran, we got to get you to your coaching career, but I want to ask one more question, then we'll take a break, uh, because I guess this plays into your coaching career. You're in the Army. You're at uh, Fort Ord, and I guess you're going out for the Army basketball team, and you meet a guy who ends up going into coaching as well. And um, from something I read previously, he had a pretty big effect on you, and maybe you had an effect on him as well. Well, you know, as the story goes, when I'm, I'm uh, shooting 81-millimeter 81 81 mortars at uh, Fort Ord, waiting my orders to either Vietnam or Germany. This is my uh, after college and uh, – I get a call from the my captain and says, uh, you know, you got a call down here in the office. And it was a guy by the name of Hal Fisher, who was the coach of the All-Army team, saying to me, you want to try out? I said, yeah, I'd pretty much like that. Yeah, it'd be great. So I went up to Presidio of San Francisco. The next day, they, I jump on a bus and get up there. And the uh, first guy I meet coming off the bus is Mike Krzyzewski. And uh, so we strike up a conversation and a relationship that lasts you know till today and uh and in those days uh, you know i got a chance to play and 
if he was sitting on the bench when I came off, you know, your job basically just because that's how it was, you would sit next to, to Mike mm-hmm. and he'd go over the game and you're in his head with you. And uh, everything was right on target. You know, we're, we got to play this guy better in this way. And you, you get, you can watch this guy's close out on you. You can go by him uh, to the right side, you know, all sorts of things that were really uh, interesting and, and, uh, and well thought out by a guy who knew the game even then, uh, and he was just a cut above then. Uh, he was coaching while he was playing, and uh, but you could just see the formation of his mind working uh, in a in a basketball manner that just uh, was extraordinary. And and of course it it proved true many years later. And ironically enough, he's going to be uh, leaving us in the coaching world in a few weeks here. And after just an unbelievable career. Well, we're going to talk about some of the other people you met along the way in your own coaching career, which was pretty impressive. Uh, let's take a break. We've got to get Fran to Penn and to Temple coming up. Uh, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Fran Dunphy's our guest on Tell Us Your Story. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, is sponsor, uh, this hour sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Hall of Famer Fran Dunphy is with us. Ray, I turn it over to you. Yeah, well, Fran, um, we talked about his playing career, which was really good, and he's part of that great team at LaSalle. If you, if you didn't get to see it, you really missed You really missed something. Uh, but Fran gets uh, Fran gets out once he gets out of the service, he gets into coaching, which I think was probably inevitable given his love of the game. Uh, he's an assistant coach at Army. That's where it starts. Then he goes back, and he's an assistant coach uh, at, uh, at Malvern, which is where he went to school. Then he's an assistant coach at LaSalle. Um, then he gets to be an assistant coach um, with, at American University under, under Gary Williams. Uh, then he comes back to LaSalle, and he's an assistant coach under Speedy Morris. And then he gets an opportunity to go to the University of Pennsylvania, where he becomes an assistant coach under Tom Schneider, and then succeeds Tom Schneider as head coach at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and when you finally got the opportunity to now enter this fraternity, Fran, and you you talked earlier about the, you know how the Big Five made a big impression on you when you were just a kid, and you went to the Palestra and you saw the games, and you certainly soaked up the lore of what the Big Five was. Um, when you got the opportunity to step up from being an assistant coach to a head coach of a Big Five program, that must have been a pretty huge moment for you. Yeah, I'm actually sitting in my basement now talking to you guys, and, and I can remember talking to my father and mother after they gave me the call to tell me I was the new head coach at Penn, and I'm sobbing, you know. And uh, my old man, being as Irish as he was, he he uh, he was crying his butt off as well. And so it was a, it was a great moment for me. Uh, little did I know that I would be kind of hanging around for the next 30 years doing it in Philly, which just uh, <laughs> nobody should be this lucky. But, uh, and I tell this story all the time and it, it's, it's, I tell it to businesses uh, when I get a chance to, to be in front of some people there. Uh, you know, they gave me a, a three year contract at Penn. Uh, the, the AD was a guy by the name of Paul Rubenkamp, who was one of my heroes in the, in the athletic world. And uh, I would have taken a three-day contract. I just wanted the job. And uh, so we, we struggle early on uh, in my career at Penn. Um, so we were not, uh, 12 and 14 my first year and 9 and 17 in, in our second year. 
and I go in to see my boss, Paul Rumikam, and you know we small talk for a little bit, and then he slides in front of me a piece of paper, and I say, uh, is there something wrong with you? And he says, what are you talking about? I said, you are aware that we went 12 and 14 and 9 and 17 the last two years? He said, yeah, so? And he said, uh, what do you want? I said, well, this, this is a new three-year contract. Why are you doing this? He said, I'm doing it because I trust in you. I, I think you've got a good staff. You've recruited well. Uh, you guys work hard. you, you got no maintenance issues. So shut up and get out of here. And uh, and I did. And uh, the next year we turned it around a little bit. Of course, we got uh, Jerome Allen to come to Penn, and uh, that made a big difference. And we go 16 and 10 in the next three years after getting Matt Maloney to be his backcourt uh, teammate. We don't lose a league game, and we, so we're off and running a little bit because of Paul Rubenkamp's confidence in me, I hope. Uh, the fact that we recruited some really pretty good guys, and I had a really good staff, Fran O'Hanlon, Gil Jackson, uh, Steve Donahue. So we had a really good group of guys, and, uh, and so I was really lucky and very grateful to that leadership and that vision and that patience that, Paul Rubenkamp showed in us, and that doesn't necessarily happen in today's world. But in those days, you could you could do that. I want to back up for one second uh, to when you were an assistant, and I think it's I think this is when you were at LaSalle's assistant. I'm not sure, but I heard you tell a story one time about playing against uh, North Carolina at the Palestra, and the impact that that Dean Smith had on you that day and moving forward. And maybe if I just set it up that way, I want to hand it to you because it's a great story. Yeah, I appreciate it. So it's I, I actually came uh, I came to I left Malvern as the head coach at Malvern and came to LaSalle because of uh, Lefty Urban, who was my teammate who had gotten the job at LaSalle. So I was with Lefty his first year at LaSalle and his last year, which was his seventh year. And the middle five years, I was at American U at uh, with Gary Williams and Ed Tapscott. And uh, I had a great time down there and, and learned much from those guys as well. So uh, as an, I'm the third assistant coach at LaSalle after uh, Lefty leaves and Speedy comes in and we're playing North Carolina. And what in those days, Dean Smith would take his seniors, and in this case, Jeff Lebo, and try to get a home game in their area for them. And while Carlisle wasn't next to us in Philly, but it, it, it certainly sufficed for Jeff Lebo. So I'm, I'm the last assistant coach out of the locker room uh, for, for LaSalle. And I finally get up to see Dean Smith and he shakes my hand before the handshake before the game. And he says, Fran, have a great game tonight. And so I'm supposed to be charting all of the offensive plays in the first half. If you looked at my sheet, there was nothing on it because I'm still thinking at the end of the first half, how this guy knew my name. I was just so flabbergasted. So as it turns out, it, he would go through the press guides and he saw this big mustachioed guy. I had a two bedroom, two bath condo for a mustache in those days. Yeah. And so he recognized me, says my name. And, and I was just flabbergasted again, that he would know my name and it meant a lot to me. However, what happened when I finally got my head coaching job at Penn uh, before each game over the next 30 years that I coached, I would go through the uh, press guides of the opposing team because of that, just that little gesture that 
uh, Dean Smith gave to me. Now, me knowing somebody else's name uh, wasn't going to mean as much as Dean Smith knowing my name meant to me. But you know what? It's just that little touch that sets you apart and makes people appreciate the attention to detail. But that was that was Dean Smith. He was a remarkable guy that way. And, and the ironic part of that, his memory was so crazed. I mean, he knew all of his players, all his players' wives and children and birth dates and all this crazy stuff, uh, which was just remarkable. And then he, you know, he, he got Alzheimer's and, and just the irony of that, uh, just the, the way life works for all of us is just amazing. Uh, but what a remarkable, remarkable guy, fantastic teacher of the game, but a, a humanitarian that, uh, of maybe no equal in our uh, college basketball world over the years. Well, you certainly uh, you certainly touched a lot of people in your time as well, and uh, your career at Penn was remarkable. Uh, after Paul Rubenkamp gave you the extension, gave you the new contract, you certainly made the most of it. 17 years at Penn, won the Ivy League championship 10 times, um, you had a streak of 48 consecutive wins in the Ivies, uh, and you finished a pen with 310 victories, which is second in the history of the Ivies, only to Princeton's Pete Corral. Um, so, I mean, you certainly carved out a place in Penn's basketball history for sure. Uh, but then in 06 comes the opportunity. John Chaney's going to step down at Temple University, uh, a legend, absolutely a Hall of Famer. Uh, he steps down, and you have the opportunity to succeed him. And I remember I've heard you tell the story before, but I'd like you to tell it again, um, about the meeting that you guys set up at Colleen's on the Parkway when you kind of went to John to kind of ask for his blessing to be his successor. And over the course of that lengthy afternoon conversation, um, the, the little bits of wisdom he shared with you. Well, when when I was asked to be interested in the job at Temple, I said, all right, I'll get back to you tomorrow, 24 hours. And my, obviously my next call was to John Chaney, and, and I said, listen, we, I'd love to talk to you here. And he said, all right, we'll meet at Colleen's because that was his favorite spot down there on the parkway. And uh, so we did, and you know, I said, listen, I'm interested in this, uh, but I, I'm not going to be interested if it's not what you want because you, uh, I don't know what I'm doing anyway. This is nuts for me to – following you but i have interest in but i need your blessing i need you to say it's okay for me and so we talked for a long time and of course he did most of the talking and i did pretty much all the listening and but he did give me that thought that if if it's meant to be i am absolutely good to go with it and that that was everything to me uh if he had said no i i got somebody else in my mind that i that I think I, I really want to succeed me, then that would have been it, and I would have walked away, and I would have hopefully stayed at at Penn for a lot of uh, a lot more years, and and uh, and and people would have wanted me to stick around. And so, but I had a great job at Penn, really did. It was a great, great job, and but this was just something different, something that I I, I needed to be uh, to to try, and and I did. And, and in our world, they tell you do not succeed a legend, and I guess I didn't get that memo, and. Uh, but but my relationship with John was was so good and I uh, was so appreciative of who he was and the iconic nature of what he did for the city and and again the humanitarian that he was um, he was remarkable guy remarkable remarkable man and so it was a it was an amazing uh, trip down uh, 
uh, it, it's amazing trip along my journey and and to do it uh, in Philly at, and both at Penn and at Temple. I'm, I'm so grateful. Fran Dunphy is our guest for Tell Us Your Story. And, and that kind of leads me into, um, I think, is a good area, which is there's a brotherhood of coaches, um, certainly in this town. Uh, and, and listen, I've seen you with Phil Martelli, and I know that you've kept up with the other coaches. How did, What does that stem from? Is it Philadelphia as a basketball town? Is there something more to it? You know what, Glenn? It, I think it's a never-ending subject, but I think this town is so incredible this way. And I'm not so sure it's any different in your profession. And what you guys, uh, you know, and, uh, when Ray first jumped in there as a, as a reporter back in the day and the people that mentored him uh, and guided him and were, came before him. So when we got into this, you know, you're, you're, it was Jack McKinney or Jack Ramsey at uh, – at St. Joe's, it was Jack McCluskey and Chuck Daly and and uh, those kinds of folks at Penn. It was Duty Moore and and uh, uh, you know, the, the cast of, of coaches at LaSalle to include Tom Gola and uh, and then Paul Westhead uh, has his years at at LaSalle and and so on. John Cheney and Harry Litwack and Don Casey at at, at Temple and. Uh, it, it was just remarkable, uh, you know, to to watch and, and Bill and over with Jack Kraft and and uh, and Al Severance before him. But when you got in it, you, there was a certain expectation that you that this there was a way you were going to act and you were going to be respectful of this wonderful opportunity that you had to coach a a, a team in this city and you were going to play at the Palestra. The Palestra was such a galvanizing part of this as well. Uh, and then for me, lucky enough, I, I had the key to the front door for like 17 years. Uh, how could I have ever dreamed that would happen as a little kid going there and then as a college player playing there? And then I get a chance to, to coach there as the head coach at, a, at Penn and have the key to the front door. And then, but, but life changes, you know, and then but Philadelphia uh, head coaching at the college level hasn't. And, you know, you come in, you get these jobs, and there's a certain way that your demeanor has to be. And and you are unbelievably respectful to the city, to the uh, the, the, the uh, college basketball world, and we're all grateful for it. I just want to ask a quick follow-up because I, I've gotten a sense in recent years, not, the, not as much the tradition, but kind of what's been ongoing, that the coaches versus cancer campaign has really contributed to the closeness among those coaches. Yeah, and I really appreciate that, and that I I would agree totally, and that you know it galvanized us even further. You know, we we have this, we have a bunch of things that go on, and uh, and everybody contributes, and everybody understands that we have a greater good that we need to serve, and uh, and to try to make a dent because cancer sucks, it's horrible, and it affects all of us, and and so we've made some inroads there, and and it. And uh, I have great respect for Phil and what he has done in Philadelphia over the years and, and how much he has been a part of this Coaches versus Cancer program. And the rest of the guys have done a great job as well. He He's a, just a cut above on all this, though. He put his whole heart and soul into this thing. So very grateful for that. But I appreciate you saying that because I think it has made a difference in our relationships 
and you'd be amazed that when we would go on the road to recruit and we'd maybe be in Orlando at a big uh, recruiting venue and all the Philly guys are kind of hanging out. We're recruiting the same guys and looking at the same people, but we're at, sitting there talking and all these guys from different cities would say, what the hell are you guys doing? Well, that's just what we do. We just kind of hang out with one another. We're trying to beat the pants off each other every night that we're competing against each other or in recruiting or whatever, but we respect each other, which is the most important thing. Yeah, and that's and that's been true forever, going all the way back to, as you said, the 60s. And you named uh, you named pretty much all of these coaches that came through here, legends all, Hall of Famers, most of them. Uh, but on top of the mountain, I mean, you're there. I mean, in terms of all-time winning as coach in the history of the Big Five, it's you. I mean, 516 wins is untouched, unmatched. Uh, you're the first guy to coach two, to be head coach at two different schools, uh, over 500 wins. Um, really a great career. I, I, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about when it came, when it came down to the, to the end at Temple uh, and the decision to, to make the change. I know it wasn't entirely your decision, uh, and you and Aaron had you and Aaron McKee. He was your assistant. You had a great relationship. But when they talked about transition, it must have been very hard for you to step away. Yeah, it was. You know, you, you think that you can do this forever, and uh, and you want to do it forever in some respects. But you know, it was time. It was ready to go. And and I I, I value what Aaron has done at Temple since then. We we text after every game and. You know, I try to go to each one of them, certainly all the home games, and there are a few away games that I've been to, but just respect what he has done, and I think they're in a really good place right now. And But you're so grateful to these institutions, for, in my case, of both schools, giving me this chance to be a head coach. And, yeah, it, it was hard. You know, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it wasn't. A, and so I, I have a number of people say to me, do you miss it? And I say, yeah, every every day I miss it. I miss the juice. I miss being nervous before the game, almost wanting to to lose my lunch, and, uh, and it, it, the nervousness. But then when the ball goes up, you just you're in the moment, and you're just into the game, and you want your kids to do so well, so badly, and uh, you want them to be good men, you want them to be good citizens, and uh, in every sense of the word, you want them to be good fathers and husbands and, and good community people. That's that's what you and you miss that. You miss the locker room badly. Uh, but you try to replace it with other things and maybe it's a charity work or it's, uh, you know, teaching a class or, or just doing good for others. You know, and what's better than that? What makes you feel better than that? You could do something for your fellow person who maybe is in, in a, in a bit of a struggle. And uh, so going back to a coaches versus cancer thing, you, you just, you want to do well for others and you, try, you want to try to make Philly best too, you know, and you, we're not perfect. We we have so many imperfections in the city, but you know what? We're all here and we're all trying to make it well and make it better. And, and it's a great place. It's a great, it was a great place for me to grow up and I'm still trying to grow up. <laughs> uh, I guess the, the one thing that I would, uh, to just kind of put a, a, a bow on this friend, thinking about where you came from, where you started playing organized basketball, CYO, all the way up through your playing career at LaSalle. And then, your opportunity to be the, to win 500 games as a head coach. Is there one, if, if, if you were to say, is there one moment that stands out as a true highlight for you? What would it be? Yeah, I'm going to tell you the highlight was actually a low light. And, uh, we were, I was coaching at 10, uh, and 
we had a 27-point lead with 15 minutes to go in against Princeton at the Palestra, and we oh. no way we no way we yeah. could lose the game, but we did. And uh, I would have sold my soul to the devil for two more points that night, and yet here we are, 20 some years later. It was 1999 was the year, and uh, and I would again I would have sold my soul to the devil, but we we found a way that team found a way to win seven more games and beat Princeton at Princeton by 25 the last night of the year to go to the NCAA tournament. And I would never trade that loss for anything. That was so meaningful. Uh, th- those kids never quit. They, they just dragged me along with them. And, and that was a, those Lango Maloney or Lango Jordan years uh, that we had at Penn and uh and that was remarkable and then at, at Temple the first year that we got to the NCAA tournament we had, we won uh three games at the Atlantic City and uh we get into the tournament and I'm in the in the uh, press room afterwards and Bill Bradshaw hands me a a phone and I said I'm, I'm in a press conference here I can't take this he said you have to take this and it's John Cheney on the other line and and he's so stinking happy that we made it to the NCAA tournament, won the Atlantic 10. So those two moments, one at Penn and one at, at Temple, I, I couldn't trade for anything, and they're so meaningful and so uh, remarkable for me in, in my career. That, but they're all about the people. It has nothing to do with the games necessarily. The people made all that work. Well, Fran, over the years, you certainly uh, you contributed so much to this town, uh, both on the court and off, and uh, it's really been our pleasure hosting you for this hour. That is the great Fran Dunphy. This hour has been sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Fran, thanks a ton. All right, Ray. All right, Glenn. Appreciate it very, very much. You Thank guys you, Fran. are great. Thank you. you it, was, it, was, it was really good. Thanks a million. We didn't get into uh, the Delco Rough Touch League, but that'll be next time. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank Th- you very take much. Take care. All right, Ray. Well... <laughs> He's a gem, man. He's a, he's a local treasure. He really is. There have been great, great people have come through the Big Five over the years. But uh, in terms of just being a good guy, um, they're none better than Fran Dunphy, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I know that um, Tommy and me is kicking up soon, and uh, you wanted to uh, just remind people Yes. Of that. Yeah, I wanted to remind everyone that uh, the Tommy and me is coming back. I'm so excited about that. It's coming back next month, April the 7th through the 17th. Uh, at a new home, we're going to the beautiful Bucks County play, uh, play, uh, Playhouse uh, right there in New Hope, and uh, tickets are now on sale. So go to the uh, Bucks County Playhouse website, and you'll see the link to Tommy and me, and go on there and order your tickets today. And I hope to see you out at the theater. I'm looking forward to a, another great run, bringing the same cast back, all the same actors, same director. It's going to be the same show, but it's going to be the same good time. Well, that same show was a great show, and you've managed to make it a you know, a permanent part of the Philadelphia arts scene. And I think it's great that you're able to kind of move it around to different places, um, you know, in the city, out in media, down in Delaware, and now you're going up to uh, Bucks, Bucks County. County. I think it, it, it's for people, you know, it's it's a big metropolitan area. People don't always travel around, so this will give some new people a chance to see it. And, and it, it is great, and I'm looking forward once again to having a night when I host 
Yes, you will. For your uh, your talk back, which is yes. always a good time. Yeah, you you signed on for that. And Joe Conklin's coming one night. And uh, we're going to have some really good people. Herb McGee's coming one night to, to host the post-show Q&A. Every night after the show, we're going to do a Q&A with the audience, which has uh, become kind of a tradition of the play and one of the really cool parts of it. And I'm really glad that you signed on for the sixth time. It is the sixth time, isn't it? Yeah, wow. this, this is our sixth well, run. Wow. Well, I've been pleased to be a part of it since uh, the very beginning when you did it as an onstage hand-in-script reading. So, you know, it's just it's gotten better and better. All right, so you and I will be back tomorrow, same time, same station. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things we didn't get to today we're going to do tomorrow, including Ray's draft preview. Any idea where you're going to go with that tomorrow? Yeah, I think I might um... – uh, I think I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Davis, who I got to talk to a little bit here, and uh, you know where he projects into this draft, and could he possibly project into the Eagles' future? Oh, Ray! It's, now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight thinking about that. Oh, he's your Jeez. kind of guy. There's oh, no question about him. that. Love him. Stood next to him. It's like, whoa, you're a house. Uh, so we got that tomorrow. We're going to do our Shibe Sports this week in Philadelphia Sports History, which also involves a nice giveaway of a $50 prize to Shibe Sports. And what we're watching, um, which uh, you and I are watching the same TV series. I kind of don't want to give it away. Well, we could, should we give it away? Sure, go right ahead. All right. We're both watching Winning Time, which is the Showtime, the Lakers uh, Showtime docudrama. I've seen the first two parts. I'm hoping there's a third part to see because I haven't quite figured out if I like it or not. But I I know how you feel. About <laughs> well, I'm waiting to see the third part too. I kind of I'm willing to give it a chance. All but right. there's I I, I I to be fair, I I have some problems with what I've seen. So yes, far. I understand. It may it may not be the most factual thing ever. Anyway, Phillies baseball coming up. Terrific. I'm so delighted to hear Scott and Larry again. Dan Wilson produced for us today. Terrific job by Dan Ray, and I look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.